Blog Talk Radio. Again this week, this is your host Shane Zanman Sabuni, along with my buddy, the Honorable Jeff. Hello. And I didn't tell Jeff I was going to do this, but I'm going to go on a, on a bit of a diatribe here. And, and Jeff, feel free to chime in here and there when you when you want to, no problem. Um, I just have a few things I want to I want to say. Okay. Um, before before we get to that, I want to address last week and the fact that we didn't do a show. Um, I did that's have what I was, the, that's what I was going to that's what I was, was going to get to. Oh, okay. I was I was going to say I did have the option to do. Um, to do it by myself or to bring in a co-host. And I, the main reason I didn't want to do that is because then it's not kingdom of honor. It would have just been content to have content and would not have been the show. So that was my main reason for not wanting to do it. Oh, great. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, I want I want to, I just want to say, I'm sorry, everyone for, um, for missing a week. Um, it's, Especially like the biggest wrestling week of the year, it, it really it was it was a terrible time for this to happen. Um, I I really am sorry. I mean, I've I've been with LOP Radio since the very beginning. Um, you know, for for those of you who are longtime listeners, you know that I was here on one of the very first shows on uh, Weekend Update or Weekend Review, whatever the hell we called it, and then that morphed into ETA, and then later on I was on t- Tuesday Night Titans where we would review the ECW shows. And then when my partner for there left, we, you know, I, I did the show for solo for a while. And of course, while I haven't been consistent um, or constantly on here, consistently on here, like guys like the doc and um, right side of the pond, which is now the longest running consecutive episodic show in LLP radio history. Um, I always been a constant here with my ring of honor takes my ECW takes and things like that. So it, it really does piss me off when I have to miss a show and there's no content on, you know, on a certain night. I mean, Jeff and I have even done a couple of specials because there was there were nights where where, you know, guys at the last minute found out they couldn't do a show. So we we tried we pitched in and done a show just to make sure there was content on the channel. So it really does suck, and I really am sorry about it. But Jeff and I have never shied away from talking about our personal lives on this show. Um, we, we talked about how you know me and my wife and him and his girlfriend are all friends. How we all work together. Um, you know, we all, how we all enjoy each other's company. We've talked about other things going on in our personal lives. So um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, beyond the pale for me to talk about what happened last week. Um, I had my wisdom teeth extracted on April 4th. Um, 
you know, when it was scheduled, I, I didn't really think much of it. And then I kind of looked and I was like, oh, I'm going to be off work for, you know, the night that uh, Embed is holding their big show and for the night that Ring of, that uh, NXT TakeOver is. And, you know, basically this weekend, weekend wrestling in the year, also like Final Four weekend, I'm going to be off for like four consecutive days. And, the, and the, you know, and the, and the surgeon said, yeah, normally for these strength surgeries, um, you know, people take off that Thursday and Friday and then Saturday and Sunday, and then they're ready to go back to work on Monday. And um, I, that sounded great to me. You know, it's kind of what I've always experienced. Um, you know, my wife had a lot of, a lot more teeth than I did extracted a few a few months ago, and she was ready to go back to work a couple of days after that. And so, you know, it didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal. Um, and then I just started getting, instead of starting feeling better on Saturday, I started feeling worse. Um, like Saturday afternoon, like my left um, cheek started swelling up. It was very painful. It got to the point on Sunday night where I wanted to, cut my, cut my face off, basically cut that side of my face off. You know, I told, I texted my wife who was at Domino's at the time that, um, that I, that, you know, I, I, I'm going to go to sleep and this was like at eight o'clock at night because I can't think to do, the only things are things I can think to do of are to cry, scream or puke. And I didn't want to do any of those things. So I, I went to, I went to sleep. Um, next morning I felt a little bit better. And, you know, I told her, you know, if I don't feel better in the morning, I'm going to, at least a little bit better in the morning, I'm going to call the oral surgeon and try to get in. And I was feeling a little bit better, but at lunch, she asked me, you know, do you, have you seen the, have you, did you call the oral surgeon's office? And I said, no. And she goes, you promised me that I, you were going to. And I said, yeah, I did say I would do that if I wasn't feeling better. And then she, and then she, um, you know, went out, went out to have a cigarette and I thought about it for a few minutes. And then I was like, well, I'll call them and see what they say. I, you know, so I called them, I explained what was going on, and I said, you know, so I don't know if I should go in today or give it a couple of days to see how I'm feeling. And she said, well, we're going to, we're not going to have any doctors in the office the rest of, the, of uh, up here the rest of the week. We have, we have one office in Hibbing, which is where Jeff lives, um, and then one office in Duluth, which is like slightly farther away from us, um, from me in particular, um, the opposite direction. And so I, you know, so so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go in this afternoon because they were able to squeeze me in, and the oral surgeon told me um, that um, that I had an infection so bad in my what's called a, the buccal space that I was on the verge of having to be hospitalized because it was becoming life threatening. If it where if it had swollen a little bit further down. I could, I could have had my breathing interrupted and, and things like that. Um, Jeff and I had kind of at that point already kind of decided because of the pain I was in, we were going to postpone the show until Wednesday. And I really thought I'd still be able to do the show on Wednesday. Um, but it turned out that, um, you know, I, I, I had, a, had those couple of days um, to recover, went in to see the oral surgeon. It was still really bad on my recheck. And they ended up, and it turned out that I also had a dry socket and they put some stuff in, they numbed my mouth so I would at least not be in pain while that stuff was taking effect. And at the same time, you know, I was kind of texting Jeff and my wife was actually texting her him for me while she was in the office with me and kind of explained to him that, um, you know, that, that how I was feeling and that I was all numbed up and Jeff wasn't feeling well at the time. And we just decided it isn't worth it, um, you know, for my health 
um, you know, for his health to, you know, to, to do the show and, and that we, of course, we would, would have to take a setback, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Um, thinking my life is no longer being threatened. Um, and, uh, God, it sucked. But anyway, that's that's the explanation of why of why um, of why we're not why I'm not we weren't able to do the show last week. And I and I felt like I owed it to you guys to explain exactly what was going on and how serious it really was. Because when you think of it, when you think of a dental emergency, you you don't really think of of it being like super. Um, I guess I guess like super serious, but you know it it is. You know I I could have become. Um, not toxic, but uh, septic, and you know it, it could have been you know bad for my heart. It could have been bad for you know my organs. I could have not been able to breathe. It, it really sucked, and uh, you know I even had my daughter kind of yelling at both my wife and I that I should have been in the hospital. Um, and so. Yeah. So my wife was taking care of me. Um, it was a bad situation, but we're we're back now. Um, I don't know, Jeff, do you have anything you want to say about any of that stuff I mentioned? Not really. I mean, you pretty much covered it. I, I, my only thing is, and like I said, you know, the whole reason why it, this is, the show is Kingdom of Honor. The, it, it's Kingdom of Honor with the two of us. Um, me going solo is not Kingdom of Honor. Um, you know, me and a co-host is not King and Kingdom of Honor. It's just, I think we might want to take this as a learning experience and maybe put together a few best of shows just in case there is an emergency like this and we can throw that on. Um, not that I really yeah. think there's a whole lot of best of that we do, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. Every single show is the best of. How would, how would we possibly pick? Exactly. That's that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> um. You know, and you know, kind of getting back to like Jeff and I's friendship. Like, we, you know, we've been friends pretty much ever since he started working at our at our at our place because I was there quite a while before he was. But when we first started talking about doing a podcast, it wasn't for LOP Radio because we did like a, kind of a pop culture one where we would talk about, of course, wrestling, but we would talk about Star Wars and we would talk about Marvel and we would talk about just kind of anything that that struck our fancy at the time, really. Um, and we called that show the Realist Guys on the Radio. And, and for a while, and, and, you know, so after what happened like last weekend, uh, well, I guess two weekends ago now with Enzo and Cass at Supercard of Honor, I was thinking, God, do I feel like an ass now naming ourselves after those guys? But we loved those guys at the time. You know, they, they were the hottest act in not just WWE, but all of professional wrestling at that time. Yeah, for quite and, a while. And, and, uh, and then, you know, as things have trickled out, it sounds like they weren't really assholes at Supercard of Honor, or U1 Supercard. They were. It was. It was part of a work shoot angle, and now these guys are calling themselves Enzo NZO and Cast XL, and they, they need to the, the free agents, and they're they're you know they're, they're basically like like they're trying to um, establish themselves as like an indie tag team that will go anywhere, kind of like the Lucha Bros, or like you know the Jacksons were for such a long time before you know before they're kind of settled in, into AEW, of course. So, and, but I guess they've been kind of doing that lately too. The Young Bucks have kind of been popping up wherever they kind of feel like to kind of promote the brand. So um, I guess I kind of want to know, Jeff, are you excited to see these guys back together? Are you happy um, that we're going to get to see more of these guys? Or are you just kind of like over it? It, 
I, I don't know if I want to say I'm over it. I, I think that there is a um, I, I think that there's a place for these guys. I think they were entertaining and um, I, Enzo is still one of the better talkers on the planet. So it'll be nice to to still be able to see him. Um, but I'm not so excited that I could cry or scream or I don't know. I guess it doesn't really excite me to that point. Did you have that same kind of come like like um, emotions that I did? Like I can't believe these guys are doing this shit, and then kind of like realize, oh, it was just a work. Yeah, and see, I'm still like, yeah, I kind of was the same. I mean, I didn't I didn't see it live when it was happening. I've been. Um, having that much wrestling to watch is kind of hectic, but I did hear about it went back and, and I still thought it was, uh, I was wondering why they would go to that kind of length to get their name out there by doing a run in on an independent show. I mean, I got that it was in New York. I got that it was, um, you know, that it was, Madison Square Garden and everything. I just didn't understand how they were able to do a run-in like that because the way they, it was sold for two or three days afterwards was that this was a huge deal, that they were they came in just to interrupt the show and, and disrupt the show, and it didn't make any sense at all. It made zero sense to me. Now looking back at it, I get it. Now that it's a work, it does kind of make sense. It, it's amazing, especially when you consider you and I are going back and rewatching the um, Monday night war stuff that uh, we couldn't pick out that it was a work, <laughs> that, especially when we're seeing how um, a similar type thing happened with the NWO. Well, to be fair, I, I, I think the camera guys kind of screwed that up too, because, because I mean, watching it live, at least, you know, maybe, maybe when you went back and rewatched it, you saw something different, but when I watched it live, all I saw was a couple of fans jumping over the rail and, and attacking the wrestlers. I didn't realize, even realize it was Enzo and Cass until much later. Um, and of course, you know, and you know, and, and of course, Colt saying, you know, keep the keep the camera on the ring. We don't want to show these idiots and things like that. You know, it it brought a little bit of attention to it, but at the same time, okay. it kind of focused on what was going on in the ring, and they really, and you really couldn't see, you know, Enzo and Cass. It was for- well, that's and I think that's why it was frustrating me because I never really did find I. I remember seeing it live, but not knowing what the hell was going on. In fact, there was just, um, it looked like fans just getting the shit kicked out of them. Like literally just getting the shit kicked out of them is what it looked like to me. Um, cause it was right after a match, wasn't it? It was right after one of the tag team matches. I, it's been too long. I'm having yeah. a hard time remembering it. No, yeah, right. It was, it was right after the tag match. He attacked the Briscoes. And then Bully Ray ran down and started helping us solve the shit out of them, but they, but they didn't keep the camera on them long enough for us to even see that it was anybody we would have known. It was just, it, this was, like I said, looked like just two fans attacking. Yeah, it, so, I don't know. It wasn't well so, done. It really wasn't no. well done at all. Um, and it made no sense from the way they were selling it that these guys just busted into the, into the arena and started you know, being dicks to everybody. It just none of it made any sense, to be honest with you. I, I mean, right, are, right. And, are, and that's why, and that's why I'm kind of blaming the production because, because to me, you know, the cameras, the cameras didn't didn't originally have them have the, the where weren't originally where they were supposed to be is probably what happened. 
Well, and for Cabana to be yelling, you know, keep that on camera on the ring. Well, there was no action in the ring. There was nothing going on in the ring. And if something like that happens on live TV, um, that's the kind of thing that you go to. When you see former uh, WWF wrestlers attacking your talent, you know, if it was live, that's the kind of thing you would have went right to. Because that would have that made for amazing TV. The only thing that I was thinking when I saw it live was that these were two fans, that, or two, a couple of fans that were just getting their asses kicked by the wrestler, and they didn't want to show it on TV because then it would be a lawsuit. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm also eating tacos, so, yeah. I mean, that, that's, um, that's what I thought no, when no, I yeah. saw it live. Yeah, so did I. And, and, and the other reason you don't want to show is because you don't want to get publicity to those guys. You right. know, just, just, like, just like WWE cut out the attack from, from, from Red Heart from, their, from the Hall of Fame once it was on, the re, on, um, you know, on, on demand. Yeah. You don't, want to, you don't want to get people that are going to do that kind of shit, that kind of, that kind of publicity. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why it was more confusing. But as whoever was producing the, the show and back, as soon as they would have saw that this was Enzo and Cass, they, that would have been made for amazing TV. You just put that right on the air. And follow it where it goes. If it was a worker, if it, if it was real life happening, you just you throw those guys on TV and and see where this goes. Because that would make I mean totally. that that would make for amazing TV. Can you imagine the the buy rates on the replays? If well, something... right, I mean, and you do the same thing. And you do the same thing if it's like Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock or something. Right. You know exactly. You know, it it just the whole thing just poorly executed, poorly done, and it it after the fact they still tried to make it sound like it was real life until it finally came out that it was a work. I I, I don't know. It yeah. it was one of the few missteps um, that I saw on this entire show. To be honest, right. it, one of the few. Actually, well, the only the, the minute. The result of the main event was a misstep to me, too. Yeah, and that, that was, and I also felt like Will Ospreay losing. And I, I wrote a blog about this, posted it on our, on our site. So, I mean, if anybody wants to go back and read it, uh, it's a G- G1 Supercard of Honor, or Honor, Madison Square Garden. And I don't review it. I just kind of give thoughts on it. I, I save the reviewing for the show. Um, and mm-hmm. then when something big like this happens, I'll throw out a blog and just you know, kind of run, recap quickly what happened on the show and give my thoughts on it. Um, it and this is what I wrote. And, and if anyone wants to read it, um, you can go to regicoop.blogspot.com. Uh, you can go to our Facebook ca- page, King of Honor, um, you know, www.facebook.com hash or was it backslash kingdom of honor. Um, or just search Kingdom of Honor. It, it, there's links to all the, my blogs on there. It's also on my Twitter, at um, Co-op. So, and what I wrote in there about that last little bit, I said in, that um, NJPW had a couple of creative missteps, um, but they were really counteracted by that one great decision by Ring of Honor. And, you know, in my opinion, the never open weight championship never should have changed hands. Never. Will Ospreay was the right guy to hold the belt, give it some legitimacy with a long reign. And I felt the same thing with the heavyweight belt that taking it off Jay White at this point was a horrible call. 
a horrible call. They needed Jay White to hold the belt to have and have Okada chase it, not put the belt back on Okada because now Jay White just looks like a chump considering he couldn't even defend it one time. And I'm trying to think, did Osprey have a defense? Or was this his first defense, too? He defended it against um, Kaishi, I believe. Okay, so he, he at least had one defense, which is something that Belt hasn't had in a year and a half. Right. But it's still, it's still just such a creative misstep on both of those championships changing hands. Um, Ring of Honor, I thought, you know, c- took that and just destroyed any kind of bad decisions NJPW did by taking the um, belt off of uh, uh, Jay Lethal and putting it on Matt Taven. He's the hottest heel in the company. He finally took home the championship. He can now truly call himself the real world's champion. It, it's just, I mean, I was hoping for Marty Skrull, but I can't argue with the way Matt Taven won it. I just can't argue with that. No, and and I think and I think that you and I both kind of coming into this show, we we saw this stuff happening. I mean, right. we we knew, we knew that Okada was going to leave with the championship, even though we didn't think it was a great decision. And I think I think you know we we were, I, I guess I would say that we we're we were probably at least like seventy percent certain that Matt Taven was leaving with the championship. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was I was hoping. <laughs> Um, but first, part of me for some reason thought Marty was going to take it, and I'm not entirely sure why I felt that way. I just really felt like Marty was going to be the one to take this, take the championship, just because okay. his contract's up. You know, and that's one way to keep him under contract by giving him the championship. But I, I can't argue with Matt Taven getting it. I think Matt Taven was the right decision. Absolutely the right decision. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, the thing is, with, with Alcada winning it, it, it's a short-sighted decision, in my opinion. I mean, really, who am I to argue with Gato, who's done such a great job of booking New Japan for the last five years? But... Why do you do things the way that you did them if you're going to have Okada win the championship back? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I mean if it's, that's the case. They don't, it they don't, felt like they were playing to the garden. Like this is you know this is Madison Square Garden, and no one has been in this arena in you know over 20 years other than WWE. You know, it, it just felt like they were trying to do something over the top, overly special, and um, you know, and that was with the the two, you know, the the winner-take-all titles and Jay White losing it, it, it almost felt like, okay, this is a historic night. We're going to do some some crazy things and send the fans home happy. Exactly. And that's, what I mean by, and that's what I mean by being short-sighted. It because, just seemed... Go ahead. It just seemed that because it's Madison Square Garden, they threw all their booking out the window. Right. I mean, they went for the feel-good moment of Okada leaving with the championship, regardless of where the logic is in that. I mean, first of all, if you're going to do that, then why even have Jay White win the championship from Tanahashi? I mean, if you really want to put your best foot forward, you really want to have a feel-good moment at Madison Square Garden, then for the first time you're on U.S. soil, why not do Tanahashi versus Okada there in the main event? I mean, yes, we've seen it, we've seen it in... Um, 
you know, the main event of Dominion. We've seen that the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, but this is your first time in Madison Square Garden on the biggest stage you've ever been on in the United States. Um, because, well, really, I mean, the biggest stage you've ever been on in the world, because as big as the Tokyo Dome is, as many people as it holds, it still doesn't hold a candle to Madison Square Garden as far as prominence. Nothing does. I mean, Madison Square Garden is the mecca of pro wrestling. So if you want to put, on the, you know, the, the biggest feud in your, you know, in the last decade, nobody's going to blink an eye at that. I mean, I mean, you and I might have been a little bit eye about it, but at the same time, it's not like people are going are gonna to seriously rebel against something like that. Well, and it would have made it's, sense. It's, it would have made sense from a storyline perspective. I, if Tanahashi had held the belt until you know, this, he'd, he would have only had the belt three months. He would have had, what, one title defense? Probably. Yeah, so it's not like he would have been um, you know, tearing it up with the belt, but it's also you know, at his age, at his diminished talent level, it's believable that he could defend it one time and move on against his biggest rival, and that's a built-in storyline. You know, this is the ace of... Where where it's a built-in storyline that is designed to send the fans home happy with an Okada win. Right, And, and instead of doing that, what they did was make Jay White's first championship reign a wet popcorn fart. Yeah, they make him look like you know, a chump. You know, he may look like a chump. And, and also, what is his catchphrase? Breathe the, with the switchblade. Right. And how are we supposed to breathe with him if he has no room to breathe? You know, I mean, he had, he had, no, room to, he had no room to spread his wings. He had no room to strut his, no room to strut his stuff as the, as the champion. He really had no reign whatsoever to it. I mean, and, and, I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he didn't even have the fucking his fucking name on the belt when he walked into. He never that that championship never had his goddamn name on it. Oh really? I didn't know that. So how in the world did he even really have a reign as world champion? It, well, it's the, just, it's just, it's just. I mean, and this is the, his first title reign, and this is what you're going to do with it. It's it just, it, it's exactly what they did to Tetsuya Naito. Uh, well, not even exactly. Tetsuya Naito had had at least what one successful defense of the championship back in what 2006 2016 now I think and and he's never sniffed the championship again and now you know while I think Jay White will win the title back sooner or later um now I mean you've got you've got you know the the top guy in the company really holding the championship you're not gonna take it off him anytime soon so now I see Okada probably holding that title until um at least until Wrestle Kingdom, and that was probably in the car. And if that was in the cards originally, like if he was supposed to beat Omega in Madison Square Garden, great. But then why put the title on White is what I don't get whatsoever. Well, they, I mean, Jay White just took like five steps back by loot dropping the title, and now if they're going to do another lengthy run with uh, with Okada, it really does defeat everything that Jay White has done over the last year and a half. He had, you know, that classic at Wrestle Kingdom. He put on a great match with Tanahashi and an amazing match with Osprey. He came in here, and this was a phenomenal match, too. I mean, up until the decision, this was probably one of the better matches that was on this card. And the fact that the, even the fans recognized that. The last 20 minutes of the match, they were on their feet. 
they, there was there was so much tension and so much uh, great storytelling that this was a great match. I just really disagree with the with the finish. Completely agreed, and and, and really at this point, they they're they're left with two options. Number one is, you know, like I said, having having Okada hold the championship to like Wrestle Kingdom, and then this and then basically like you said, it kind of erases everything what Jay White has done. Or number two, they have they have Okada drop the title quickly, and then they've made their top championship a hot potato for this year because this will already be the third title title change in 2019, and we're only in April. So it's just it's just I mean well I mean there's been let's see there's this is already the third title change so another one would be the fourth title change, you know so if it changes hands four times I mean yeah that's not a lot for WWE or for WCW but. Um, but for um, like Ring of Honor New Japan, that's a fuck a lot of a title changes in, in a year. Well, even I mean, even MLW is another one. By the way, MLW, I'm glad that you finally caught up and that you like it as much as I do, because <laughs> it's probably my favorite promotion right now. Uh, but MLW does the same thing. They've only had three champions in the year and a half of TV I've been watching. You know, it, it's they. There's only one company that can get away with hot potato of the of the belt, and um, can, can I can I can I just comment on what you just said a minute a minute ago real quick before you go on? Yeah, MLW's had two champions. Three. They've had three. They've had, they've had three belt holders, but but really only Tom Lawler and Loki have, have, have carried themselves as champions. Well, yeah, and I mean Shane Strickland was only a champion for a heartbeat before he lost it to uh, Loki, and then Loki carried it for seven eight months, and now Tom Lawler has it. And the time that he did hold the title, he didn't take it seriously. No, you know, he so didn't. I, I can't consider I can't consider him the champion of anything. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess I can see it from there. Um, yeah. You know, it. I, I just I'm not a fan of the hot potato of the belt. This is and we've been we've had it now for almost two full years with um, the never championship, and now we're going to get it here with the the uh, heavyweight belt. It just doesn't feel right. Um, you know, I will say they came to play. In this uh, in this show, they they tried to make this a WrestleMania type um, big deal with all of the over the top entrances, the title changes, the surprise returns, surprise debuts, you know. And I I still am not really sure what PCO was trying to accomplish during his entrance, but it definitely was an over the top entrance. God with the new music or the new entrance video was kind of cool. Um, I thought the uh, debuting faction Allure was a phenomenal time and spot for that. And to get Velvet Sky and Angelina Love, who to me still has the greatest female faction of all time, to have them in another female faction in Ring of Honor, I think is a great thing. You know, and that dude, 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 dude if, you, if you have Velvet Sky on a professional wrestling show doing her beautiful people entrance into the ring, like, you know, where she shakes her ass on the ropes. Right. I'm a happy guy. Oh, I'm yeah, a exactly. happy guy. Well, and then that that um, triple threat for the junior championship, that was just an amazing match as well. I thought all three of those guys really came to, and put on a great match. The the six man tag street fight whatever thing that Bully Ray and Flip Gordon and and it was overbooked to the point where it was just confusing as hell as to what was going on, but it was still a, a really good match, a really fun match. 
I just I thought there was very few missteps on this entire program, you know, even to the point where we had um, Great Muda making his debut in, in Madison Square Garden. I, did you see that Battle Royal at all? I did, yeah. Sorry, I, I was on mute and I didn't realize it. I mean, with, uh, with both Liger making his retirement tour and then pulling out Great Muda, I thought that was just, that was an amazing feel-good moment when Muda walked out there. Yeah, and, and, I, was, and I was like watching it and I'm, and I'm like, and, and I was like, wait a minute, Kenny King did not get eliminated. <laughs> I was watching. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know, they're saying that these only two guys left, but that's not true. Kenny King never got eliminated. I kind of wish Kenny would have let them um, let Liger and Muda just go for a little bit before he came in to do the eliminations, because I, I was really pumped to see that. Yeah, everybody does, Jeff, and that's why he did it the way he did. I know, and that's what pisses me <laughs> off. It was a great heel move. <laughs> it's now why I hate him. I hate him. At least they gave the belt back to Kelly Klein. That was a good decision. I thought Ring of Honor hit every high note on this. I don't think Ring of Honor made one bad decision this entire card. NJPW had a couple of... Oh, they, they put the GOD titles on... Or they had titles on GOD. Was that them or was that... Because was that a trade-off for putting the never on Jeff Cobb? That's fair. You know, I have a feeling that that was kind of a trade-off where one one Ring of Honor guy was going to win the, you know, take them all title, whatever, uh, winner take all title, and, and then one NJPW talent was going to win one of them. And they just kind of flipped a coin to see oh. who was going over who. Yeah, but it could have been Evil and Sonata doing it. Yeah, it could have been, but G.O.D. is... Somebody in Bullet Club has to have some authority now that Jay White lost his belt. And Bullet Soldier lost his belt. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, they're the only ones that have any belts. Yeah. And actually, you know, that, that was, a, that was I, th- I think, like a, a match that you and I were basically lockstep in that Ishimori had, was going to win that one. And I ain't mad at the result of that whatsoever. I mean, no, I, I mean... I mean, I mean, seeing Dragon Lee leave with that championship, especially how close he is with Takahashi and, and stuff, you know, I'm very happy he, he left with that championship. Well, and not just that, but the fact that they put it on a AAA guy. Right. You know, CMLL. They, no, I thought Dragon Lee was AAA. No, they were working with the CMLL, not AAA. I know that. That's why I was confused why he was winning it, because I, I got to look it up. I'm pretty sure that he is CML or that he's AAA. Because I was shocked that, or the announcer said something that maybe came out. Yeah, he's currently working for CMLL. That must have been a mix-up by the announcers then, because they, uh, I remember somebody saying something about Tripoli with him. Regardless, it was kind of a cool move to put him on. Um, to put it on somebody that's not NJPW or Ring of Honor. Not right, not NJPW, not Ring of Honor, not um, American, not British, not Japanese. You know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting move. It was a great match. Um, I loved the Dragon Lee Bandito thing at the end of it. I didn't realize that um, Bandito was Roosh's little brother. I thought they said Dragon Lee was Roosh's little brother. 
Did they? I one of them was Rouge's little brother. Regardless, yeah, yeah. I, either, I either, yeah, either way, I was surprised. I, yeah. I totally agree. Yep, you're right. Dragon Lee is Rouge's little brother. I regardless, I was shocked when I heard that that one of these guys was his little brother. Oh, speaking of Rouge, <laughs> what did you think? What did you think of what he did to your guy? The three and a half second match. I, yeah. It it served its purpose. We finally got it the um, we finally got Dalton Castle to flip out. Turn heel at it the ex- at the expense of the boys, so maybe he's going to go with a darker um, type character now going forward, with, and not rely so much on the over the top flamboyant uh, stuff with the boys that he's done for so long. Here's my feelings about it, and it's very similar to my feelings about what happened with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I thought those two guys could have a great match against each other. You don't even want to get me started on that one. But, but, at, the same, but at the same time, um, I thought that it fit the story. And a super show like this sometimes needs something like that. I mean, I was pissed when I went to WrestleMania 25 and JBL ended up getting beat that quickly by Rey Mysterio. So I can totally understand if people are a fan of Roosh or a fan of... Well, Roosh especially, because Dalton Castle had his moment right after the match. But, you know, a fan of either of those guys, and they wanted to see them, you know, battle for 15, you know, 12, 15 minutes and, and get a great match in, why they'd be upset if that's, you know, one of the main reasons why they went to the show. It's not, because people bought this fucking show, you know, before um, anything was announced. But I, I could understand that. At the same time, it fit the story. Um, the, you know, the match, the show needed a match like that. And... We're going to see this match again in the future, so no harm, no foul there. And we got to see Dalton Castle finally make his turn. So I mean, I think I think with those four things all together, you know, forming a good this it, that match has a great table to stand on. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was it, it was um, I, I really thought it was well done. It accomplished what it was supposed to do. Um, and I don't think that Dalton Castle would have flipped the way he did had he got done a 20-minute match and then lost at the last minute. The right. fact that the fact that he finally reached his breaking point by literally just getting his ass kicked is what um, is probably the best storytelling that they've told that they told you know throughout the majority of this card. Because it was wrapping up an entire, it was wrapping up a story that we had been waiting for months to see finally come true. Yeah, I mean, pretty much since final battle. And you did, I mean, you did bring this up, so I'm just going to touch on it briefly. Um, I was good, good, I was going to say because because I really do, I, now I want to get you started on it. So I, get started on it. <laughs> I am just I'm so can it, it, it's and I, I don't know why it angers me. I think it's just because it slams home the. Um, the reason why we've given up on, on, on that programming period, regardless of what the talent they have is because the, and, and I said it before, like last week or the, when we were review or previewing it, that that was going to be the opening match. And um, it made no sense to me from a storyline perspective, because what was the point of Seth Rollins winning the Royal Rumble? You win the Royal Rumble to get a guaranteed uh, main event spot at WrestleMania. And he's the curtain jerker. So that kind of pissed me off to begin with. And then the fact that it was just an embarrassing ass kicking that turned into three curb stomps to win the belt for Seth Rollins, I, it makes no sense to me. It's, but it is amazing that on WrestleMania weekend, the worst 
show of the weekend was WrestleMania. Why does that amaze you? It's been, it's been happening for years, dude. <laughs> I guess I've never watched other shows during WrestleMania weekend, so I didn't know. And the only reason well, I watched this one was because Jay, uh, my son, oldest son, was up. So. Well, and the, the thing is, though, that uh, I mean, NXT Takeover has been better than the WrestleMania the last several years. You know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, WrestleMania has gotten to the point where you could you could make a great WrestleMania out of most of them have been like the last four years, but you can't, but but taking it as a whole, it's not a great show. Um, I mean, there were there were a couple. I, 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 I love the way they booked it. I mean, I, I really did. I mean, I you're going to disagree on this because because you know if we're going to take this as being um, fans, and you know, LP Radio is the greatest. Um, fan-driven wrestling podcast network in existence. Well, and um, let's let's face it, we're not insiders. We don't have any you know knowledge or friends on the inside or anything like that. We're just two Uber fans that immerse ourselves in this. Right, and so if we're going to take it as fans. We're going to take it at face value. It made perfect sense from the character of all those guys. What happened? You know that. Um, that the that the match wasn't scheduled to be the the first one up, that Brock Lesnar was pissed off that he wasn't going to 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 go on last at WrestleMania for once, that um that Paul Heyman would fuel that anger of him into in getting him to do something like this, that Paul Heyman would use that to be strategic and try to neutralize a threat by taking away um their time. The timing, the same way Matt Haven tried to do to Jay Lethal a couple of pay-per-views ago, um, that Seth Rollins would say, fuck it, I'm ending the beast right now, and go out there and try to slay him, and that he would keep getting up um, trying to get it, and that the architect would go back to being the architect for a split second, would watch where the, re- where the referee was, wait till that moment to throw Lesnar into him and hit the low blow and then finish him off with three straight curb stops. Okay. Um, and seriously, you know, I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, all of, I mean, I understand that as a critic, you can, you can be, you know, um, you can be critical of, of what happened for want of a better word, but it really did fit all those guys characters perfectly. So in my opinion, it was perfectly judged for that matter. Plus it gave some great spacing between the other two big title matches on the card. Yeah, it just it, to me it felt like a, a to to have Seth Rollins finally you've got the little guy who comes in after after we saw Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and Finn Balor do it you finally got Seth Rollins who comes in and slays the beast and it looked like he just got that one lucky shot and got the win that way it reminded me more of his um, first title win when he won the WWE title in what 2014 or was it 15 I can't remember. Uh... 15. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me more of that where it was just a lucky win. I would have rather have seen I, I would have rather have seen him come back from that um, ass kicking that he got. Like wait, Ballard. wait, 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 a lucky win? He squashed Lesnar, dude. He didn't squash him. He got a lucky low blow to a guy he beat, who... He beat Brock fucking Lesnar in a minute and a half. How did he... How got... was that not a squash? He got a lucky... It's just, 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 just like what fucking Goldberg did to Lesnar. Yeah, I didn't say that was good either. <laughs> they, both, they, both, they both squashed the most dominant WWE champion in the last... Um, since fucking Hogan. 
Was it really a squash or was it a lucky hit on a guy who clearly has the biggest balls in America? Because I've been hitting the nuts before. I'm not rolling around on the ground grabbing my crotch for three hours like Brock was. Well, you do that on a regular basis, whether you get kicked in the nuts or not. Well, so. yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, I don't, that's not my, you know, he's got to have the biggest balls in the world. He mm-hmm. sold that nut shot my, longer my, my, than I've ever seen anybody do that. It was though. That's the thing. It wasn't a lucky shot. If, if, you, if you watch the match, he was up in the F5. He saw where the referee was. He made the smart counter, knowing that he was going to throw, the, throw Lesnar into the referee and that that would open him up to do the low blow to him. It was not a lucky shot. It was a strategic uh, shot by the architect, by the architect. Uh, I'm just going to have to disagree on that. I, I just, I don't know. You can disagree I, all you want. I mean, you disagree with me all the time because you, you like to be wrong so often. But, no, but in this in this case, um, you know, I, I if you go back and – Go back and take, you know, take the five minutes to go back and rewatch the match, Jeff, and, you, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I probably will. I think I was just disgusted by the way it was going down that I didn't really catch that. Um, but that I, that does fit his character. And, I, and ladies out there, I am never disgusted when somebody goes down, just to let you know. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, as far as the rest of the card goes, I, I really like the um, Styles-Orton match. Uh, and, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of the players. Uh, I, the players. I, I think that's because I don't think it was that great of a match. Maybe two and a half, three stars. It wasn't anything over the top, but it was after seeing all the crap that I'd seen up to that, I was, I was happy with that match. Sorry, man. Headphone man. I can put a hip up on a put for a minute. Sorry about that. Um, All right. So, so here's the thing is that is that I think that you underrate because I had asked you the next day for for, for spoiler free match ratings and you had given that three and a half stars and you had given the Kofi Daniel Bryan match five stars. That was amazing. And, I love that and, match. And, and, and I think you overrated both those matches by half a star. So it's possible. It's possible. But I, you know how my ratings are. I always take in storyline. I always take in. Um, you know, other things than just the match. So a good storyline and a great finish with the first ever African-American WWE champion, that's going to easily jump my rating up a half a star to a full star. Have you never heard of The Rock before? The Rock is Samoan. He's not African-American. He's half, he's half and half. Was Barack, he, was, was Barack Obama not the first black president? Because Barack Obama is half white and half black, but he's still considered to be the black pre- first black president. What, what Kofi Kingston was, though, was the first black man to win his first championship at WrestleMania and also the only black man to ever leave WrestleMania as the champion. And technically the only black man to ever win it. <laughs> no, he's not. The Rock is Samoan. The Rock is half Samoan, half black. He's Samoan. Okay, so he, so, he identifies so, as a Samoan. So, so we've never had a black president then. That's different. Obama identifies not, as black. It, no, it's not. The it's, Rock identifies no. as Samoan. Is the Rock half black? Yes, he is, but he identifies. Is is, is Barack Obama half white? It's who they identify. Is Barack as. Obama half white? From what you're telling me, yeah, I guess I never paid that close of attention. <laughs> The reality is, is what, what do they identify as? The Rock no, doesn't not. identify it. It's not, because it, 
in this country, Jeff, by all of our historical relevance, has never been about what do people identify as. It has been if you have any black blood in you, you're black. So, therefore, have you have you been under a rock the last year and a half? That's all everything is now is about what people identify with. That's what the whole transgender thing is about. That's what the world revolves around is what people identify with now. Not, oh, they've got half a penis and, and two boobs, so we're going to call them a transvestite. It, it's what they identify as. The Rock is the first black WWE champion. But Kofi Kingston is still been a civil historic because he did it. He won it at WrestleMania, and he's the only black man to ever leave WrestleMania as the champion. So. You know, I've been noticing those last couple of weeks there have been um, a few influences from 83 weeks on this show because you and I tend to argue a little bit more lately than we have been in the past. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> Every time he says that, I just I, I start laughing. When he pulls back from the microphone and starts screaming, "You motherfucker!" It was daylight out. I know. I, I, I thought about doing like a, like like one of the like one of the uh, um, Conrad things earlier. Like like uh you know like we're gonna talk about G1 Supercard. Yeah, I, I I'm enjoying that show. I, I really am. And I, and I love what happened when, too. I think, I think Tony Schiavone is a funny motherfucker. I haven't really gotten into that. I listened to half of it, a half of an episode one time, and maybe it was just a bad episode because um, I didn't really get too much into it. Um, maybe I'll go back after I finish 83 weeks. I don't, where are you at in 83 weeks? Um, let me look at my thing. I, I, think we, I think I just listened to the Sting 1996 episode. Okay, yeah, then I'm still behind you because I'm, I'm on the um, – uh, Bash at the Beach '98. Yeah, you'll catch up to me because I'm because I'm kind of listening to a, I'm listening to like two episodes of What Happened When and then one episode of 83 Weeks just to kind of um, try to try to get, get them both to the, around the same spot since um, What Happened When started like about a year and a half prior to 83 Weeks. Okay. Yeah, and I I'm, I've never been much of a, a podcast listener either, so this is kind of you know that's my time when I've got uh, storylines from uh, different promotions going on. You know, is when I'm now listening to this 83 weeks. So it's it's been a little bit. I'm falling behind on some of the other stuff again. Like I I haven't watched Impact in in weeks. Well, but, speaking of Impact, they just they did just finally add. Um, yeah, I saw Ryan home, homecoming homecoming this week. So we should probably we should probably cover that in the next couple of weeks. I would say. Well, what do we have on uh, this week? Next week. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about major league wrestling, like battle riot and shit, you know. Okay. Do you think we'll be able to watch all that plus um, homecoming by by then? By when we record on Saturday, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I lost with dates. Well, I can, but I mean, you know, it's it's whether. You know, it's whether you want to or not. For me, it all depends on on because I've you know it's my week with my son, so um, yeah, it depends on how quickly he goes to bed at night. But <laughs> yeah. I, but you, but you know we're also covering like two months of MLW, so I mean I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about just with that personally. Yeah, plus, that we, plus, plus, plus we've also got a, a bit of a uh, uh, cup, cup to preview. Yeah, that is true, and I mean at some point we'll probably I. I 
Are we done with the G1 Supercard? Do you have any more thoughts well, on that one? Well, we didn't talk about the, the two big, the two other two big championship matches. We didn't talk about Zack Sabre Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi or Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito. So, Which the ZSJ match was great, but they were both, what do you they expect? Were both great. They were both great. And yeah, and Naito, uh, the Naito match was too. I just I don't like the fact that Naito lost the belt too. You know, it just seemed like NJPW did not manage their. They they went too. There were too many shocking losses. Too um, many belts changed hands. Too many. It was just it was overbooked, and they tried to make it this over the top special thing because of the weekend, because of the venue, and I I think they just kind of missed a little bit. Can can I tell you what I'm tired of with with Naito matches? What's that? I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the running Destino. And, yeah. And, and, and how the and how the announcers are always telling that you know it's a Destino. And you know that that you know the, the match should be over with now because he never wins a match with the running Destino. He never wins a match with the Destino anymore. No, he does. When he's the Destino, it's it's over. When he's the running Destino, it's always a near fall. You know. Yeah, I I'm kind of over the whole Destino thing too. I, I'm I, I still am a huge fan of Naito and all of Lij, but I think Naito has become my maybe fourth favorite member of Lij now. Which so is just about so just about Bushi. <laughs> yeah, actually, and you know that's not you know when ta- uh, Takahashi comes back, that's going to change too. Yeah, I kind of figured that was going to be the case. Evil still has the best entrance in in New Japan. That his theme song, everything about it, I just love. Sonata is just a freak of nature, and Shingo. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed every time I see Shingo, Shingo wrestle. Just amazed. Yeah, Shingo's awesome. No question. Um, and ZSJ is ZSJ. So, you know, what, what else can you really say about him? Exactly. I, a lot of times I forget his matches um, because I always know that I'm going to get a five star classic. Uh, when was the last time that he put on an under four four star match? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's he's become AJ Styles to me. Whereas I know it's going to be great, I know I'm going to enjoy it. So there's not a whole ton to talk about because I already know it's going to be good. So I usually just sit back and enjoy that. Where the other ones, I'm actually looking at. Okay, you know this pisses me off. I like this part. You know, instead of just. With ZSJ and Styles, I usually just kind of sit there and just watch them and enjoy them and get caught up in being a fan. Yeah, and and then you know, and that's kind of what I th- that's kind of what I thought it you know was the, was your reason for rating Styles versus Orton so high because obviously they didn't have the, the you know they didn't have a great story coming in it was just kind of like the retread of of the Styles and and John Cena story from before um, Royal Rumble 2017. Right, with but, the whole but, 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 you but, but, but name somewhere else and all that crap. But I also know that they're two of your favorite wrestlers of all time. So it's um so I mean I was so I mean I I totally understand why you would, why you would rate it as high as you did. It's just that for me it wasn't that high especially especially when it was one of those matches where you could tell Randy Orton was just going through the through the motions. Yeah, and I kind of I caught that too, but I I think it's more the fact that I don't know if it's so much Randy Orton just going through the motions anymore or if it's the fact that he's actually getting up there in age. And he can't work like he used to. Just and there's nothing wrong with that. AJ can't either. 
AJ in, in I was just about know, to say AJ's like five years I think AJ's like five years older than Orton and he still moved better than Orton did in this match. Yeah, that is true. And but I mean you've seen Orton with his uh, he's had so many shoulder and neck issues that it, it's it, time might just be catching up with him. Because I can't remember the last time he put on a great, great, great match. Probably when he was um, wrestling against Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I, I'm Back sure. Back in two thousand fourteen. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's just is no shame in we, it. I we, mean, yeah, you know, you know, I, I, you know, the SummerSlam twenty fourteen match against against uh, Daniel SummerSlam twenty three match against twenty thirteen match against Daniel Bryan is always is one of the all time classics, of course. Right. And I mean the fact that. Uh, wait, you do, you totally missed my sarcasm there. Wait, what? SummerSlam twenty SummerSlam twenty thirteen. Think about his match with Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam twenty thirteen. I'm not getting into those whole holding up the belt and Triple H screwing the B plus player and all that crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into the actual match. And, I mean, there was there was a time when uh, AJ Styles was Mister Five Star. Yeah, he, you know, and he's not that guy anymore. He's just not, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. But he is just his father time caught up to him. And I think with the multitude of injuries that Randy Orton has had, the fact that he hasn't really been in a meaningful feud, Jesus Christ, since Bray Wyatt three years ago, two years and ago, that, and, the, and look how that feud turned out. And that one was horrific. That was one of the worst. The worst examples of bad chemistry I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and it, and it did so much for both guys' careers too. Exactly. You know, it, it just and that was probably the last real feud Randy Orton was in. I think so. I uh, know he no because because right after that he had the world title feud against um, Jinder Mahal. Jinder, yeah, that's not a feud. <laughs> that's that's a three month stretch of wrestling that I'm going to never think of again. I don't even acknowledge that that happened. Is there anybody in the history of professional wrestling that has been that much better as a heel than he is a, than he is terrible as a face than Randy Orton? You know, I was actually thinking that, uh, trying to think about that, and the only person that c- could come close was maybe Ted DiBiase. The original? Yeah, he was so great as a heel. He was probably he's probably well, he, well he was but he was also a great babyface when he wrestled like USWA and stuff. I guess I never saw that. I, I'm just thinking of his babyface run with the Steiner brothers in WCW. I don't. Yeah, that even, was, I don't even remember that. <laughs> that that was really that was really the only time I ever saw DiBiase as a as a face. Otherwise, <laughs> he's always been a heel, and it just it didn't. He's, but he's the only other person, because I was actually thinking about that a couple of days ago, and he is the only person that I could think of that even comes close to, you know, top of mind. Right. I mean, people, people talk about Edge, about how Edge is so much better as a heel than he is as a babyface, but I, first, I personally never felt that way. Number he was one, great as a babyface. And, and, and number two, he was great as a, a babyface also when he was with Christian. Right. So I mean, it, so so I mean, it isn't like he he doesn't have the chops to do it, and of course, you know, the other one people will always bring up as such a great heel, and kind of did not work as a babyface was Flair, but Flair really was a heel for such a long time that he was kind of like um, Bizarro Batman. You know, I just thought. <laughs> you, know, you, know, just... you know, if you watch if you watch the Dark Knight, you know, you know, um, Dark Knight, you know, uh, he talks about you know, you you're. Uh, 
if you live long enough as a hero, you you turn you uh, see yourself become a villain. Well, Flair's the exact opposite. He was a villain for such a long time, and so great at it for such a long time that he became pretty much like a forever babyface, no matter what he did in a heelish manner. Yeah, so. and, and that's that's true. But that also brought up somebody else, Miz. Terrible oh, as a face. Yeah. Horrible as a face. You're right. Even now with his feud with Shane McMahon, it should have been him turning heel, not McMahon, because he is not a good babyface. Well, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of willing to see how it goes now with him as a babyface, because we really haven't seen him as a babyface for years and years and years, you know. Thank God, because when he was before, it was brutal. It was un, some unwatchable, just terrible. He did. The Miz is great when the Miz has a microphone in front of his face and he can tear everybody down. That's when the Miz is at his best. And when he's a baby face, he just doesn't hit on those kind of marks. I think Jericho is another one that was kind of like that. He's so much better as a heel. When he's a baby face, he's just kind of comedy relief. I think he I think he's had some really great baby face moments um over the years, but I I do agree that that at least at the top level He's better as a, he's better as a monster heel than he is as a as a big time as a main event baby face. But I think he's really good as a as I think he's really good as a mid card baby. I think still my favorite all time favorite moment um, was when he turned on the Rock uh, when he and the Rock were friends because they were you know, constantly making fun of Stephanie and um, the Rock was talking to him in the middle of the ring and all he did was put his hand up in the Rock's mm-hmm. face. That was still the most intense moment I've ever seen somebody do uh, and and so subtly do a heel turn like that that's that's one of those moments that just will always stick out in my mind you know my favorite now now that now that you mentioned that you know one of my favorite heel heel promos of all time is when eddie guerrero came down to the ring with with ray mysterio's mask didn't say a word and just stomped the mask into the ground while the crowd booed him and then just walked away. He also, when he came back from his injury, I, I don't know if you remember when the radicals debuted and he um, missed that frog splash and blew out his, uh, his elbow Okay. in, in their first match in WWF. Uh, and he, uh, he was gone for six or seven months and I've never seen anybody come out to a huge pop like that. Because, you know, that's what happens when returning people come back, no matter how big of an asshole they were, how much everyone hated them. When they're gone for a while and they come back, they always come back to cheers. But Eddie Guerrero got on the microphone and cut just this horrific heel promo that got everybody booing him by the end of that promo. It's, that is another one of those moments that is just like that, to see that kind of talent on display. Mm-hmm. People are going over the top, everything they can to cheer for this guy, and he just he he became a heel. He came back and was a heel and a good one. Yeah, he was. Um, he was so good, so good. But he but he was another one that was so good as a heel that he really couldn't stay heel very long. <laughs> oh yeah, he couldn't stay face very long. He but he did have a couple of of really memorable face runs. Yeah. Especially his tag team with uh, Chapo. Yeah, that 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 just went on forever and ever and ever, though. Yeah, but it, it was still it was still quality. I mean, it was still good. It was it was a different side of Eddie Guerrero that, you know, 
you know, Jericho, when I look back at Jericho's life as a face, I honestly don't have any moments that really stick out. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. But, but, but I mean, you don't have this, any moments that stick out as being terrible ones either. Whereas, you know, Randy Orton has just always been like a bland, yeah, he's pretty not, boy, babyface. If he's, if he's not um, kicking somebody in the head, he's just not, he's hard to watch. He is. He is so let's really take, hard. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about, uh, I guess, TakeOver. We haven't talked about anything, anything about TakeOver yet. Okay, and welcome back to Kingdom of Honor. Uh, again, thank you for staying with us. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, and we're going to talk a, a bit about TakeOver from last weekend. But first, I, I kind of wanted to I, – I actually, before everything kind of happened um, last Wednesday, I kind of had a topic I wanted to, to start the show off with, and I kind of want to bring it up now because it kind of – I kind of read this, and I kind of like shook my head. Um, Jeff, you and I are following, are following WWE very closely, but we you know we did, we did watch – you watched all of WrestleMania because you watched it with your son. Um, I watched parts of WrestleMania I wanted to see. And well, hold on, I didn't watch all of it. Oh, you <laughs> did? No, there were some things that I just couldn't. I, I took an extra long bathroom break during a couple of the matches. And I'm sure that you're better for it. <laughs> I oh, trust me, I am. And uh, but you know what, what? The thing that you know, a couple, one thing that we have kind of addressed that came out of. Um, WrestleMania is that the um, both both world championships changed hands. Um, well, actually, I guess I guess you can say all four world championships changed hands as Becky Lynch left with both the SmackDown and the and the Raw Women's titles. But the what but what's um, more relevant to my point is that Kofi Kingston and Seth Rollins left with the WWE title and the Universal title respectively. So then on Monday Night Raw, which you which you know, I don't watch. I don't know if you if you saw any of this or not. But um, no, I didn't. Basically, basically, beginning of the show, Seth came out and was talking about you know being a fighting fighting Universal Champion, and he got interrupted by Kofi. And Kofi came out and he was talking and he was like, yeah, you know, I I I, I want to be an honorable champion as well. And so Kofi challenged him to a winners take all match in the main event of Raw. So. The two new champions are going to fight in the main event of Raw for the um, for both titles, so to to make a unified champion. Now, Jeff, with just with that setup, um, I don't want you to talk about anything anything else that happened in there. If you know what happened, just with that setup, if you were watching that live on Raw or you were in the arena, would you have expected that match to end cleanly? No, absolutely not. Right. And last year, when I was up in arms about, um, you know, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was devastatedly pissed off that they were giving away AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan for free on SmackDown last year, right after WrestleMania as well, right? You remember that? Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, so people, um, you know, so people back then were kind of talking me down, including you, that you know it doesn't really mean that much. They're giving it away on on SmackDown. You weren't happy about it either, but you were like less apoplectic about it than I was, and. So people in that arena were legitimately apparently expecting that match to end with a clean victory by one of the two guys. In a match, again, for both fucking world championships, 
that had not been promoted beforehand whatsoever with no storyline, no feud, and still an obvious brand fucking split. Not only that, but when but when the people that interfered in the match, those who were smart enough to realize, oh, this is probably going to end in some kind of schmaz, when the people that interfered in the match were not the um, the uh, Undisputed Era, this is how entitled fans are now. I mean, yes, I don't like WWE because of a lot of the shit they do, but this is how entitled fans are. People got all pissy because it wasn't the Undisputed Era interrupting the match. Do you know who, inter- who interrupted the match, Jeff? Wasn't it the bar? It was the bar. And what was there, and what was there were you complaining about a year ago about the bar? Um, okay, I'll refresh I, your memory since you don't remember. Well, yeah, because I haven't been watching the show that much. Well, yeah, but pay-per-views but, here and there, but right. But a year ago, you and I couldn't believe that they were that they were drafted to SmackDown in the super, in the Superstar Shakeup, and they didn't show up on SmackDown for like three months because the writers, quote unquote, had nothing for them. So here we are, the night after WrestleMania, and they're getting in the ring and mixing it up in a tag team match. First of all, interfering in a in a in a World Championship Unification match, and then because and then um teaming up as a result of this in a, a Teddy Long special with the bar taking on the world champion and the U.S. and the universal champion in the main event of Monday Night Raw. They're in there rubbing shoulders with two world champions at the same time a fucking year after the writers had nothing for them and people were up in arms about it. I fucking hate professional wrestling fans sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, especially WWE fans. I, I don't have a problem with uh, most wrestling fans. I have a problem with the wrestling fans that don't appreciate what they have in front of them. Right. Yeah, it sucked that they didn't have anything for, um, you know, for the bar a year ago. It sucked that they tried to convince us that these two were best friends, finally teaming together, but when you have that kind of greatness just happening in front of you for free, just roll with it. Right. And and think about the fact that these guys who people, you and I, but also lots and lots of wrestling fans couldn't believe we're, we're not on their screens for, for such a long time. And in fact, Steve used to bring it up all the time on, um, on the late, on the late shift, which was the show that used to air in this slot. You know, where the fuck are the bar? Like, every week, where the fuck are the bar? Well, here they are arresting the, the two champions that were didn't just they, crowned at WrestleFuckingMania, and people were up in arms about it. Did they, didn't they do that same it. thing? Didn't they do that same thing with New Day last year? Or two years ago, whenever they went over to SmackDown, they just were not on TV for like three months. The hottest, um, hottest group in the company. Maybe I, I don't remember, but I mean, I, I just I just can't believe I just couldn't believe it because, you know, the, you know, they're these two guys that people supposedly love and want to be pushed are in the ring with two world champions and nobody can stop bitching about it. It's just like, what the bloody fuck? You know? Well, yeah, and I mean, they're two of the most underrated talents on the roster, too. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, sometimes you just don't know what you got, um, you know, until it's gone. So, I, you know, I just I just want to point out the hypocrisy of those idiots that did that shit. Because I, I think it's wrong. Speaking of not knowing what you have, um, yes. that actually is a perfect... Um, 
segue into yeah. NXT TakeOver was just a phenomenal show, just like always. I, I didn't think there was less than a four-star match there. Um, but, oh, how wrong you are, my friend. Anyway, oh, see, I didn't have an issue with any of them, to be honest with you. But, you know, it's Johnny Gargano is just a beast. I, I, I you call him whatever you want. Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Five Star, Johnny Takeover, Johnny Badass, Johnny Champion, whatever you want to call him. I don't think there is a better wrestler on the planet right now than Johnny Gargano. Or Gargano. Then you and I watched a completely different match. <laughs> oh, see, I I absolutely loved that match. I thought I thought every part of it. And normally with the Undisputed Era coming in and, and interfering and then the finisher kick out of, of the um, last shot and all that stuff, I would have been up in arms about, but it fits Johnny's character so well that never give up the, you know, the heart of a champion type character that he has that it was just, it was, it was perfect. It was perfectly done, I thought. And normally that's the kind of stuff. Normally that's the kind of stuff. I'm right here alongside you, bitching. Oh, I hate this. That's ruined it for me. But for some reason in this match, it just fits so well that I couldn't. I, I couldn't stop being invested in the match. Did it? Did it really yeah. fit that well? Did it? For me, for me, yeah. <laughs> from what I saw, from what I see of the characters and everything. I mean, and I, you know, going into this, and I don't know if we talked about it on the air, or if it was just one of our, you know, meetups in the middle of the stupid hallway, um, where I was irritated that they Wait, took... wait, wait. The stupid hallway? What the hell did the hallway ever do to you? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the, but I remember saying that I was irritated because Johnny um, literally turned face. After months and months of him doing this tweener thing, all of a sudden he's back to babyface Johnny. And it just worked. I thought every part of it worked on this match. Okay. So let me tell you why it didn't. <laughs> the, um, the reason that it didn't is because of the way that the, that the first fall ended. Um, the first fall ended with a last shot, right? what they're calling the last shot now, the, the running reverse um, shining wizard to the back of the head. Yeah. That's how the first hole ended, and, Ad, and Adam Cole got the victory. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was in a, in, a, in, a, in a fall that was okay. It wasn't bad. It, it wasn't I, – I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was um, – I didn't think it was good. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was okay. And I thought, well, okay, that, that's, you know, that, that's okay. It's perfectly okay to have an okay – First fall when you're setting up to an to an epic encounter, no no harm no harm there whatsoever. And then Johnny kicks out of a last shot. And yeah, I understand what you're saying is never say die attitude. But here's the thing, you know, you just lost to this move. You're just getting up from having lost to this okay. move, and you're going to kick out of it. And see, this so, is where this is where I think we saw it differently. Um, because I I looked at that as a kind of a fresh take on the um, first fall submission tap out. How they you know even even the second fall when Adam Cole got locked into the um, what is it Gargano stretch or whatever it is Gargano escape Gargano he escape. Uh, yeah. he tapped immediately. To me, that's what that first 
uh, last shot was. It was just like, you know what, just I'm going to give them this so I can get my rest and we can move on to the next fall before I get even more hurt. So that's the kind of the way that I looked at it. Is it was just a fresh take on the, on the submission quick tap. Okay, so now to me that that means that you're rationalizing what you saw. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you are for sure, but I mean that that's that's what I take that as is a bit of a ra- of rationalization. Oh no, that, uh, I mean at the time I didn't, but then when I um, when I looked back at it, especially in the final fall, it, it kind of hit me that 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 made perfect storyline sense. That he would, you know, he would take the quick early fall um, in order to have it later. Because let's, let's face it, the wait, last wait, shot wait, was not... But, that, but, but that's completely against the character of Johnny Gargano. I mean, it truly is. You know, he, he's, he's always fighting. He's always trying to win. He's not just going to give up something like that. But see, he wasn't... It was that giving it up for the greater good. Um, no. I don't, they, they, I, I, don't, did... I, don't think, I don't think he would do that. I mean, well, yeah, but if you think about it, during throughout the entire match, there was a lot of uh, the um, Mauro Ronaldo and um, Nigel were talking a lot about how much he's learned from Champa, and how I mean he incorporated a couple of different Champa moves in the, into the match. So it's not you know, it's not, and especially when the last you know five six months we've seen this different side of Johnny Gargano where he's been, you know, doing whatever he can to win. So it just, it, it, it doesn't fit the uber babyface Johnny Gargano never die attitude, but it does fit with what the story has been for the last six months with his semi-tweener turn and his teaming up with Ciampa and, you know, even double-crossing Ciampa two weeks ago on NXT or two weeks before on NXT TV. It just, that's not something that Johnny would have done. Johnny literally gave up on the Dusty Classic just to double-cross Ciampa. So, so, okay, so I I understand that point, and that's that's actually a very good um, argument. But let's take a step back and assume that you're right about it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. No, seriously. For the sake of argument, let's let's assume that you're you're right about that. All right, okay. so, so then why does he just stay there and let himself keep, keep, keep getting the shit kicked out of him then? What, what part of that contributes to that strategy you're talking about? We're back to the two out of three falls match? We are. No, he, he took that fall because then he got a little break in between the next match. Right. He, well, he did, but then Adam Cole was all over him, and he took another, and he took another um, last shot. So what part of, of that strategy of giving away the first fall means that he's going to stay on the ground and keep getting his ass kicked? I'll, I'll, I'll let you think about that one for a minute. I'm just trying to... And then I will move on to say that, be, you know, that being said, I still think this fall was the best part of the entire match. See, I thought the second I fall agree. was incredible. I thought it was back and forth. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought the right guy won the first fall. I thought the right guy won the second fall. I even think the right guy won the third fall. Here's, but here's, here's where, where it falls apart for me. Um, everything they did in that third fall made Johnny Gargano look like he could not ever be beaten by anybody ever. He could have like Godzilla 
and King Kong attacking him, and he's ever going to lose another match. At the same time, it made the Undisputed Era look like they can't beat anybody, even with all four of them in there. I mean, Gargano, yes. Is, is he a superstar? Yes. Is he one of the top guys in promotion? Of course. Is he one of the best wrestlers in the world? Absolutely. However, he's also not fucking Walter or Jeff Cobb. He shouldn't be able to beat all four of the Undisputed Era the way that he did. You know, my suspension of disbelief was gone by that point. To me, the match doesn't hold up. Um, excited, exciting in the moment, sure. But I also sat there rolling my eyes, going, "This is unfucking believable." I do not, be- and not unfucking believable in a good way. Unbelievable in, in the way that, as a professional wrestling fan, I do not believe what I'm watching, and that's not good. Um, you know, maybe other you obviously had a different opinion than I did about that, and that's great. I'm, gl- I'm glad that it worked for you, but it didn't work for me at all because of that. Because I can't look back at this now and say. Um, you know, Johnny Gargano is a world beater. I look back at this and go, so Johnny Gargano, that little guy, really was able to beat the entire Undisputed Era. And, and, it, and it kind of leads into what you said about the last, um, the last TakeOver main event um, with um, Ciampa defending against, um, was it Aleister Black? It was Aleister Black. And how your and how your buddy that you live with, um, I don't know, I don't know if you still live with him or not, but I know you at the time at the time you did, um, said, okay, he just got dropped on his head three times. How is he still kicking out? Um, at, at some point, things stretch believability. And to me, watching Gar- Johnny Gargano, who's you know a buck eighty-five, dominate four four guys that are all former world champions. Um, just was unbelievable to me to the level that I just, to me, that match, um, like I said, the, the second fall of the match, probably, probably four to five stars, the rest of the match combined, um, probably two and a half. And so I probably said somewhere around a three, three and a half, maybe for the entire match, um, which isn't bad, but also I kind of look at this going. So Johnny Gargano's fucking Hulk Hogan now. No, see, no not, that's, I that's, didn't, not he, that's not what he should be. I didn't see it that way obviously because i you know gave it a different rating but i mean it's if we think about it we can go all the way back to um melzer's famous six and a half star rating for that first uh omega versus um okada match and i remember saying that i you know to me that was only four and a half stars because i thought that there was some timing issues um this and i and i wasn't able to get invested so i can see how you know there's a different a different viewpoint. Now, I'm, I'm still trying to remember where, because I know Gargano got that last shot, took the first, or, and Cole won the first fall, but I don't remember him getting beat up more. He did. He, he took a second last shot, but he kicked out of it. Actually, yeah. I'm, not even sure, I'm, not, I'm not even sure it was actually a last shot. I might have, it might have just been a shining wizard, but they called it as a last shot. Because he, he took that first last shot, and uh, Cole got the win, and then there was a break in between, and then Cole started hot again on the second fall. And he tried to go for an early early pin, and um, Johnny kicked out of it, which kind of goes to what I was you know, saying. He, he was able to kick out of a last shot shortly after losing a fall to a last shot. 
So it, it kind of lends to the whole theory that he was just taking the quick early pin. Yes, but the part that, the part that goes against it is why would he just let himself get his ass kicked in order to take a second last shot? That was my, I, that was my point. And then maybe he, you know, I guess I, I'll have to rewatch that, but I don't re, I mean, it just, the whole, the fact that he was able to kick out of the second one just kind of lends the whole feeling that, okay, now he's not going to give up. He gave them that early fall. Now, I don't. Uh, and the, wait, wait, wait. He got the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one. That was the other thing, is, is you know, I mean, the, the, the I mean, I, I realize that this, that this is going kind of like towards your point. But at the same time, I'm not going to completely agree with your point. So, so it, is, it doesn't really. Um, so I, I, I know what you're going to say to this, but I mean, he he gets he, he loses to one last ride in the first fall, but yet 25 minutes later in the second in the third in the third and deciding fall, he can he, he can keep kicking out of last ride after last ride after last ride, even after taking multiple shots from from the rest of the Undisputed Era, which is another way that it makes the Undisputed look Era look completely fucking weak. Yeah, speaking of which, that um, I love the Undisputed Era, but that blockbuster spinning leg sweep finisher that uh, um, the Red, uh, Red Dragon has is just horrid. I can't, I can't watch it. It, it, it. I can't believe that anybody, that that's a finisher. Why? It's not, it's not much different than the total elimination was by the Eliminators in ECW. No, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying it's a weak finisher. It's not, though. <laughs> it kind of is. Um, but yeah, I, the, I, I don't know. I saw it differently. Like I didn't see him taking all of Undisputed Era's best shots. I mean, outside of that one little interference thing where Roderick Strong got up on the ring apron and then Red Dragon hit their finisher... There wasn't a whole lot of undisputed era interference until Johnny came out and you know basically took them all out on the outside, and then we didn't see them again the rest of the match. Yeah, and again, Johnny Gargano, not Hulk Hogan, not King Kong Bundy, not Earthquake, not the Giant. Johnny Gargano took out all four members of undisputed era. Oh, he did. Yeah, no, not it, that's making it sound different than it really was. It's not. But That's what happened. I watched the, it. For the record, um, Meltzer gave this um, two out of three falls match a five and a half star rating. Well, he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think it's, I think it's beyond hilarious that you, who thinks that Dave Lester has lost his mind, are using Dave Meltzer in order to well, justify just, your opinion. <laughs> just, just because I know that you uh, you rely on him. I don't rely on. I don't rely on him. He sometimes agrees with me. That's all there. He all sometimes there agrees with you. <laughs> wow. <sighs> anyway, that's, so that's, I mean, look, I, I expect myself to be right all the time. I don't expect everybody else to be right all the time. I mean, I I, I get. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just one that we're going to disagree on. I thought the match was great. I thought it it was a great story that they told, and it just. But remember, we had the same issue with the two out of three falls match at NWA seventy. I hated that match. You loved it. I thought the the middle hardcore fall took me so far out of the match that I couldn't get back into it for the third 
for the third fall that was actually probably really good. Yes, I do. I do remember that. You know, so it, it's it just that wasn't my cup of tea. This probably isn't yours. But to me, I thought this was a phenomenal match. I, I will go on record saying I thought it was five stars, and and Johnny Gargano is probably the best wrestler in the world right now as far as a performance in the ring performance goes he is the best wrestler in the world at his style right that's but, what but, i'm saying but but, the- but but his style uses way too much finisher kickout stuff for me to for me to get fully on board with it. it he doesn't do that in all of his matches really i'm not saying that he get, i'm not saying that he kicks out of finishers in all of his matches, but how many times have you ever... First of all, what exactly is his, is his impact finisher? And secondly, how many people have, have, kicked, have kicked out of it? The sling, slingshot DDT? That's what I thought. So, that's what I thought, and everybody always accepts that move. Yeah, and that's why that's not his true finisher. His true finisher is the Gargano escape. Which people escape out of all the time. <laughs> because it's a submission move. I mean, how many times did the uh, figure four get uh, reversed when Flair used it? Yeah. And how yeah, many times this, did he win but, with it? But, Jeff, the name of the move is their Gargan No Escape. <laughs> Nobody's just showing me escaping from him. That's, called, that's actually literally called No Escape. <laughs> that was my point. I was, trying to be, I was trying to be funny. You failed. <laughs> Because as usual, you, you didn't understand my point. I didn't get it. No, um, <laughs> I Raider Raiders. You, you, against, you probably never, you probably never even realized that No Escape was in the name of the move, did you? Because I no it, comment. It's, <laughs> it's Gargano Escape, not Garga Garga No Escape. Right, but I mean, it's using his last but, name. It is, but the one, but one of them means that that you are escaping from him when he does the move. The other one means that um, there is no escape from his move. Which one makes more sense to you as a finishing move? So let me. So if his name was Gargan, yes, escape. Then they would. Then they would have called it something else, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to stop listening to eighty-three weeks. No, we don't. <laughs> And Jeff's gonna and Jeff wants to buy wants to sell you some houses too. By the way, anyway. <laughs> wow. Now what I, what I will say though is I thought there were two, there were two matches on this card that were legitimate match of the year contenders. Um, I thought both. First of all, you know how much I hate Jeff. How much I hate Matt Riddle. Oh yeah. But I, but I'm, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to kind of go along with what you said last week about how it, how he annoys the living shit out of you. <laughs> but when he gets in that ring, he can really go because God oh, damn, yeah. had a great match. Yeah, he, and he's done that a few different times. Um, you know, the first one I saw was against Drew Gulak. That was, I, I watched that match and I'm like, there's no way this is that annoying tool that just beat the holy hell out of Cassius Ono. Was that any, was that any evolve? No, that was on NXT. Okay, so I'm pretty sure they wrestled for the Evolve Championship before too. It's possible. I, I mean, this I saw him against Shane Strickland. He actually had a decent match. I just the, the bro character and that music and his flip flops and and bare feet and wrestling in what looks like boxer briefs just doesn't do it for me. But when he's actually in the ring, he's hella talented. Yes. He, you know, and this, I, I agree. I thought this Matt Riddle Velveteen Dream match was a match of the year candidate as well. I, I, I had it slightly below the two, uh, two out of three falls. I think I had this at like four, seven, five. Mm-hmm. 
But it, it would, it, you know, anything above a four or five is a match of the year candidate. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really, I'm really kind of to the. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I interrupted you, and I really shouldn't have, and I really, no. and I almost, and I almost would pass this match, and I really shouldn't because I, I really did enjoy it. Um, what I, I, what I think I really loved the most out of it is that it showed a different side of the Velveteen Dream. Um, right. It, it showed a different side of Matt Riddle to me too, because it, you know, I, I had never had had that kind of experience of Matt Riddle. At least in NXT, I had seen him a couple of times and evolved and enjoyed him. But I haven't. But with this particular character um, in NXT, I had not enjoyed him. But it showed it showed how great he actually is as a wrestler and as a performer. But it also showed the side of a Velveteen Dream, where basically he was beaten at every turn. I mean, everything Velveteen Dream tried tried to do, Matt Riddle turned back on him, and it and it was almost an extended squash in that sense, where the where Matt Riddle probably had eighty five percent of the offense in this match. If you go, you know, if I were to go back and actually kind of like take account of it, I'm, I'm guessing he had eighty eighty five percent of the offense in the match, and he was dominating that much of the match. But so it, what that what that did was gave Dream a chance to show that he could be, he could be the you know the fighting from below underdog. Um, but also still be um, um, look like he ha- he has a chance to win. I mean, against Aleister Black, he had that similar kind of performance. But it really there was but the end was really never in doubt. In this case, there was more hope spots. There was most more spots where you thought, well, maybe Dream's going to pull this out. Um, and it also like showed his resourcefulness in able to being able to come up with a counter that would get him to, to win the match. So I mean. To me, this was like an evolution for Velveteen Dream to the point where now he, for those of the, for those who may have been doubting him, who I, I don't know where the fuck what the fuck rock they've been living on if they are if they are, but it really put him in the frame of mind where he is um, entering that upper echelon not only of characters but of entering performers um, on the WWE stage. It did the same for Matt Riddle, the exact same. This was a star-making performance by Matt Riddle, too. And both these guys were elevated by what happened during this match. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, and the, go ahead. The other five-star match, and, and I, 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 I can't really say much more about this because you pretty much said it all. But I, we, can't under, we can't look past the fact that this was not just Velveteen Dream's coming out party. This was also Matt Riddle's. Yeah. This was a star-making match for both of these guys. Right. And, you know, the War Raiders, Ricochet, Alistair Black was another, I thought, five-star match. That was my other match of the year candidate. Oh, interesting, because for me, it was Walter versus, um, it was Walter versus uh, um, Pete Dunn. See, and I only gave that four stars because I just didn't like the finish. Oh, the finish was awesome. No, I didn't like the fact that Pete Dunn lost. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you did. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean by finish. <laughs> but he had to lose some time, man. He you know? did, but and 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 you know he had, he had almost a full two years with that championship, and now you know it's time for somebody else to take over that mantle. Did he have over two years? Huh? Wasn't was he at seven over seven hundred days? Yeah, so just almost two years. That's what I said. Oh, I thought he had over two years. No, over two years would be. Two years would be um, seven hundred and thirty days. Okay, he was yeah, like, he was, he was like a six. He was like what six ninety seven or something. I thought he was like seven sixteen or seven eighteen or something like that. 
I thought he did it over a month ago, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, we're splitting hairs, really, where that where that. Yeah, comes exactly. From. But but I mean, to, to me, um, to me, Pete Dunne has been in the in the two, in the two best singles matches in WWE this year. You know, he he was in this one, and then he was in the um, the match against Joe Coffey at uh, NXT over Blackpool that you and I both adored as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I think so. I mean, Pete Dunne is right up there as far as I'm concerned with guys that are, you know, in the discussion for wrestle for, you know, best wrestlers in the world. Oh yeah. I'm right there with you. I've, I've been on Pete Dunne's bandwagon since late last year, probably middle of last year, actually. Um, I, I just love the guy. I think he's an, an amazing talent. I still didn't see much out of Walter to make me feel in awe of him. Like most people seem to be, even in this match, it, it looked like, Pete Dunne carried the majority of this match. Which, when you look at the way Walter has been booked forever, that's just not what I was expecting. But I did, I did say that too, that I, I, just, I wanted to see him against um, somebody that could actually fight back, not little toothpicks like he was in Defiant and, and smaller guys that he goes in and squashes. This was really the first time I've seen Walter up against somebody that could actually fight back. So Pete Dunn held the title for 685 days. Okay. So, um, but, yeah, but yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, somebody that could, that could actually fight back. And, and, and the other thing was that this match, um, this match zigged where the, where the R-Truth and, I'm not R Truth. Oh my God, I guess I'm R Truth. <laughs> Where the Velveteen Dream and <laughs> Matt, Riddle, Matt Riddle match zig. Um, because, you know, the Matt Riddle match, like we talked about, um, and you didn't disagree, so I'm assuming that you saw the same, the same way I did, where Matt Riddle oh, yeah. dominated like 80 to 85% of the match. And it was Velveteen Dream always fighting from the bottom and, and trying to, to, you know, find a resourceful way to, to so, somehow come out on top. And this one, Walter started out that way. And the Pete Dunne was able to turn it around, and it, and it became, and it ended up being becoming much closer to fifty-fifty. Yeah, and that, I mean, it meant that it looked like you know that um, Walter was going to dominate Pete Dunne, and Pete Dunne found a way to turn it around and make it a, a, an actual contest. And that's, and, it, and so it, and so it ended up being like basically whoever got the got their best shot in last was going to win the match. Well, and that and that's what I was saying is that Pete Dunne sold the fact that Walter is this unstoppable beast in the first 10 minutes of the match. Right. And then, then he became Pete Dunne, and it became a really competitive, really good match. And in all honesty, I think Pete Dunne looks stronger in this defeat than he did when he beat Joe Coffey. I think he came out looking stronger in this match than he did, and a lot of it's because of that first 10 minutes with putting Walter over as being this just monster. Yeah, I probably agree with that. Yeah, and, and, and now, like I said, Pete Dunne is like ready to move on to, like, you know, he, he, I'm assuming he'll be end up on, on either SmackDown or Raw after the Superstar Shake-Up next week. Oh, yeah, I mean, Vince is already on record as saying that he's a future champion. That was Triple H. Was it Triple H? I thought it was Vince. No, Vince McMahon was probably drooling in the cereal at that time. Yeah, good point. Um, so, so, t- so talk to me about about the match you thought was a five star. That you said the tag match. I, I just, it, to me, it was just good back and forth. It, it, there was high spots, but it didn't get out of control like 
you're ex- you expect to see from matches like this. I love the chemistry between Ricochet and Aleister Black. It, and then it was it was also the way you know there w- it was the production of the whole thing, the presentation, the the way that the War Raiders came into the ring, um, their entrance, and then the fact that you know they left left Ricochet and Aleister Black in the middle of the ring just to say their goodbyes to the NXT crowd. I just, it was just, it was, it was a great presentation. It was the kind of match I would expect out of these guys. And it just, for me, it just hit all the right notes. I'm I'm glad you said part of what you said there, but um, I, I guess for me, yes, it was, it was a good match with a lot of action. There was no drama to it really. I mean, I, I mean, there was there was basically no chance that Aleister Black and Ricochet were leaving with those tag titles. Yeah, and that's and, I and, mean, and, that and, is and, a huge. And, go ahead. That I mean, that is a huge reason. I mean, maybe you know, saying calling it a five star match was a little rough. I think it's right up there, but I think the fact that the, it was War Raiders were winning this from the word go kind of did take down a little bit of the drama. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they they did good to get the drama back, but they, it, there was never a doubt of that the Raiders were going to win it. Right, and, and so and so, I, while while there's a lot of action, it was kind of like when you're watching. Um, to me, it was kind of like when you're watching a superhero origin story, um, which you've seen so many times now, and we know that no matter how much danger that superhero is in they're not going to be killed because that's going to destroy the franchise. So, so, I mean, to, to me, like watching it, I mean, there, to me, there was no chance that um, Ricochet and Aleister Black were going to leave with those titles. So while, yes, it put over the war Raiders strong and being able to, to defeat those guys. Um, it, at the same time, you know, to me, there was never the end, the result was never in doubt. And so I couldn't get, as fully invested as you did. The other, the other thing I think kind of plays into what you kind of started talking about. We started talking about this match was the entrance. And I kind of watched that war Raiders entrance. And I thought I'm over this shit. Um, I, I, I really, and, and I kind of, and so I kind of have had like a thing where I was kind of thinking in my mind, like watching this match, I was kind of like stunned at myself to the point where to realize that, the stuff that kind of got me into pro wrestling now kind of turns me it's off not, from pro wrestling. Right. It, it was the same thing in that PCO. I had that same kind of moment with PC, uh, the PCO entrance too. Right. And the we're, G1 we're, Supercard where it was like, okay, yeah, 25 years ago I would have been marking out hard over that, but now it's just stupid. Right. And I, and I, and I saw this, and I think because you were, I, I believe you were down picking up your son at the time that NXT TakeOver was actually happening. And so, it, I, so I think that you, that you probably may not have even seen this match until afterwards. So, I mean, so I mean it, it was kind of like, so we actually would have kind of, kind of had the epiphany right around the same time watching wrestling shows. But it was kind of looking, looking at it and like going, yeah, I guess it's cool, but do I need this in my pro wrestling? I mean, does to, to, I was kind of like looking at going, yeah, this is more WWE than I care to to see at this point in my wrestling fandom. Um, so seeing that entrance to me, um, kind of it, it turned me off, and it kind of made, made me like like retrospect, you know, introspective at the time at a time when I was trying to sit down and watch some pro wrestling. And so I, I think I think because of that, I wasn't into the very beginning of the match. I mean, I mean, I probably I might I might rate it you know high, higher than I do if that hadn't been the case. Um, 
And I kind of felt the same way, honestly, about the WrestleMania main event. Where like yeah. where, where I lo- I mean don't get me wrong I fucking love Jonah Jonah and the Blackhearts playing Ronda out of the ring that didn't turn me off at all but fucking Charlotte arriving in a helicopter and walking to the ring fuck that shit yeah I I was the only entrance that I liked in that entire was Becky Lynch's I didn't like Joan Jet playing I didn't like the helicopter thing I thought it was stupid both of them were stupid um and I I did I I liked. Becky's no nonsense entrance. Gotcha. I yeah. did not like Triple H's entrance either, at all, because it, it was more of that same just blown up for the sake of being blown up. But I don't. Did you watch that Triple H Batista match? No, I don't watch. Okay, so you didn't. You didn't see Batista fall into the ring during his entrance. <laughs> what? He went to he went to climb into the ring, um, you know, through the through the middle rope, and his foot yeah. got caught. His foot got caught on the middle rope, and he stumbled into the ring. Who who was out there first, Triple H or Batista? Batista. Okay, so Triple H wasn't out there at the time. No. Okay, because I was going to say if if Batista fell into the ring like that, and Triple H didn't immediately attack him, that's completely against character, and the match was over right there for me. Right. No. Watching. <laughs> Batista came in first, and it was it. it it was so. It was almost like the um, Titus O'Neil mix-up where he slipped and slid under the ring. It was. It kind of had that same feeling. And you're looking at him, and he's doing this whole badass entrance. And you're looking at him, and he's just paranoid because he just almost fell on his face. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, and, and another thing. Another thing about openings of matches is um, Kofi Kingston's. Like when he came out there, and then the new day handed him that box, and was like, "No, no, no, we'll save this for after the match." Um, did that, and I was like, "You know what? I really want Kofi Kingston to win this match, but I hate the new day. But I really want Kofi Kingston to win this match. And even if he does win this match, and I'm happy about him winning the match, if what's in that box is a championship belt made out of pancakes." I'm going to fucking hunt down the new day and kill all three of them. I was afraid that's what it was going to be too. <laughs> I actually was. Um, but I, I, did you catch that at the end of the match? I remember screaming at my TV, would somebody help that kid when uh, Kofi's son is trying to climb over the top rope to get into the ring? Uh, no. You didn't catch that? No. There is a, uh, I remember, I remember looking at Jacob and going, Jesus Christ, somebody better go help him. The kid's going to fall and kill himself because he was trying to climb up over the top rope. Would that have been such a bad thing? Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean the, you know, the world is overpopulated as it is. Ratings would have went up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind yeah, of thing we're, yeah. we're talking about on the G1. Put the camera on. The, uh, the buy rate will be up higher on the rebuys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine how, imagine how viral that video would be of that of that kid being dropped from the third story of third story of the uh, of the Royal Mall the other day. <laughs> wow, you heard about that, right? Yeah, I did. Some kid just picked up a five year old and threw him over the railing. Yeah, I guess there's all kinds of stories to that. The the guy's been banned from the mall multiple times. He's got felonies all over the place, and he just ran up, grabbed a kid, and threw him off the balcony. Yeah. Just a moment of insanity. And the kid lived. So. Thank God. Why? 
because that's just tragic. We just got done. I just got done saying it's not because of the because of the overpopulation in the world. I wasn't kidding. Yeah, but as a father <laughs> of a very young child who was actually planning a trip to the Mall of America with that very young child, now has second, you know, second guessing it. I guess. Well, you know, you know, don't don't take the fact that I that I don't care about this kid being dropped from that. I well, that, not that I don't care about. It, I, I was in shock about it, but I, that I that I wouldn't have cared if he had died. And and to me, not caring that your kid would have died because I would have, you know, I, I, not because I, because I know you, I'm friends with you. I know your son. I like your son, but, um, but you know, I mean, if it's just some random stranger, I really don't care. And I mean that sincerely. It makes sense. That, that, that makes sense. Um, I, do you want to touch on, is there anything else on this? I, I thought the, the four way match was good too. The female match. Yes. I, I do want to, I do want to say that, um, uh, Shayna Baszler continues to be my favorite women's wrestler of all time. Oh, she's just and, 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 and I and I fucking love her performance in this match. Yeah, she's just a beast. She she's amazing. So uh, so so characterful, so beautiful, such great um such great wrestling from her. I I fucking love Shayna Baszler. She plays the MMA badass the way we wanted Ronda Rousey to do it. She plays. She plays an MMA badass the way we wanted fucking Brock Lesnar to play it, dude. <laughs> hey, she she actually is doing what Ronda Rousey was supposed to do better than Ronda Rousey did. Yeah, she, absolutely. It's 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 stunning to watch, and she's going to be. I can't wait to see her up. You know, and I hate to say this, but on the main roster, so that we can actually get her in matches against Sasha Banks and um, Becky Lynch and and people like that. Yeah, her against Becky, her against Asuka, awesome shit, awesome shit, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I even think if they can build Sasha back up to being somewhat important, um, I think a, a match against those two would be good. Would be a lot of fun too. I'm t- I'm done hoping for that. It, yeah, especially after lo- dropping the belts. Yeah. What What else did you say? Did you have something else you wanted to, you wanted to cover? Well, I was just um, wondering what your thoughts were on the. Um, the first week of the Monday Night Wars that we were watching. Oh, right. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Um, I, I guess, you know, for me, I thought WWF kicked WCW's ass for that week. Um, yeah, WCW had the bigger matches, um, like, you know, the like Flair and Anderson together and Sting versus Scott Steiner for the first time ever one-on-one on television. But I felt like you know, you and I have, have, you know, for years at least, you know, every time we've talked about this, we feel like there's more, um, that less is more when it comes to wrestling television, that a one hour television show with a storyline built around it is better than a two hour wrestling show with just kind of bits and pieces here and there. Um, and maybe it's just the time that we're coming in. Like this one is setting up like the King of the King of the Ring tournament as well. Um, but I felt like everything on WWE, WWF show had a purpose and had some urgency behind it, and hardly anything on the WCW show did. Um, so, so, I mean, to me, I thought WWF at this time was firing on all cylinders, and WCW was still kind of trying to figure out what it had with, like, the Giant and, um, and, and, all, and basically everybody. Really I think it's I think it's funny that you 
you use that less is more thing because that's the same reason that I used to, I, I gave um, nitros, nitro uh, 3.75 stars for the entire presentation and I gave okay. um, Monday Night Raw 3.5. I thought, I thought that when nitro hit its high, hits high marks, that it hit high marks. That match with uh, Regal against Alex Wright was one of my favorite matches that I've seen in, in years. I, I just I thought it was it was a good blend of, of, of Regal's mat wrestling with Alex Wright and his high flying for that time, his high flying ability. I, I just they had some great chemistry together. Uh, I just I loved the fact that they put on I thought a four star match. And then the interview with Regal afterwards, where uh, I mean Regal just comes in and he, um, what do you, what do you, I'm trying to, I'm gonna go to my blog here because I did write it down. Okay, uh, there were a couple spots where he called Gene a miserable little toad. He said that um, Gene telling him how to act his life is like Quasimodo telling someone how to walk straight. He called Alex Wright Junior Adolf and the Giant an escapee from Barnum and Bailey's. I just. The interview with uh, Regal was just amazing kind of stuff that you see out of William Regal, that people forget how great he was on the microphone and how good he was in the ring. I thought the um, ending with Razor Ramon coming out, you know, I'm calling him Razor because I'm looking at it like I would have when I was watching it back then. Sure. You know, see, seeing him come out to confront uh, Eric Bischoff and challenge Billionaire Ted, I thought it was it was really well done because it built so much intrigue for what's going to happen. You know, it, it made me want to tune in next week to see how well it did and, or, you know, what's going to happen next. And the way that he put it where he doesn't want the fight on the mics or in the newspaper paper or the dirt sheets, he wants the fight in the ring where it matters. I thought that was just a great dig at WWE and the way that they, were going through their war of words. I thought Bischoff did an amazing job on, on commentary, uh, putting over the in-ring talent. Uh, he ran through backstories on these, in, on the people in the ring, like people that we wouldn't have normally seen or known anything about. He's running through a little bit of backstory. He's, you know, putting over their move sets, but he's also, you know, still kind of keeping the storyline going of, of, the whole Scott Hall interference. Keenan made me laugh probably 20 times during that one hour he was on there. I thought his best line was during the um, Alex Wright Regal match where he said that uh, Kevin Green needs to put a telephone book in the back of his trunk so when Flair starts spanking him, it won't hurt so bad. That was one of my favorite Heenanisms probably ever. I, I just thought the WCW was great at its high spots. There were a few down moments like that. Randy Savage's nuts video was dumb. And, um, you know, I did not like that Steve Dahl versus Mahler segment. I thought was brutal. The um, Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael working out was horrible. Um, but I loved the, I loved the horseman stuff. I loved the fact that he had his VIP section and the fact that Sting came and ate some cheese off the VIP section later on his way to the ring. I just I thought where it hit the high notes, it hit great. Now, on the other hand, Monday night or um, Raw, for me was, 
it was too overbooked. Every match had a run-in. Every match had outside interference. Every match had a commercial break in the middle of the match. They rushed through the Ahmed Johnson-Vader um, match to get to that silly shit at the end of the, at the, end of the show um, with him busting down Goldust's door and, and all that stuff. And the one match, that, well, the, the first match with Goldust and um, Warrior, I actually was really impressed with. I thought it was great character work by Goldust, great character work. I thought he was the shining star of that. And I also really liked the tag team match, the Smoking Guns versus Body Donnas. I thought it was a good four-star match, but we didn't get to see any of it because they went to a commercial. They were too busy talking about, um, with Hillbilly Jim, talking about something that had nothing to do with the match itself. And then the, the horse shit with... Um, the Phineas coming down to confront Sonny. It just, it was overbooked and it was annoying to me at times. <laughs> if it wasn't for the in-ring performances on the matches that they really just kind of glossed over, that would have been a two-star episode for me. See, now, I, I can see where you're coming from. I can. But but see, when, when, I, when I watch like WCW and I'm seeing, seeing things like, like you mentioned, Steve Dahl versus the Mauler. Um, we see DDP come out, but he only has like a three-minute match against Craig Pittman. Um, we have the Giant versus the Shark, which is Earthquake. You know, you know, and right. and, and you know, the, and the Giant, you know, and, and the whole story of that match was, you know, basically the, the Shark saying, "Well, if he, if I see it coming, I'm not going to get choke slammed." Well, he saw it coming. He still got choke slammed. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there was you know, some. You know, there was you know, some. You know, we have Bobby Walker versus Brad Armstrong. So I mean, like half the stuff on that show was. Was I mean, all due respect to you know DDP and the Giant was basically nobodies versus nobodies, um, at that time, you know. But but I mean, and then when you roll into, into the WWF, you have a quick, you have a fast-paced show. That yeah, there was commercials in it. Of course, there was commercials in it. But um, but I mean, like you said, we have Warrior versus Goldust, which is a really good match. You had a great tag team match between the Smoking Guns and Skip and Zip, and I thought a, a really good match between. Vader and Ahmed Johnson with with a great ending with Owen Hart, you know, hitting the hitting the double X handle with the cast to um, to cost Ahmed the match and the shot at the King of the Ring. Um, well, so I mean, I mean, I so I mean, like just watching it, like a like on a just kind of like at a, on a on a uh, time level. I mean, I, I would I would much rather spend the hour watching that Raw than I would spending spend the two hours watching that Nitro. Yeah, I mean, the two hours on Nitro did give us some filler matches with the Bobby Walker versus Armstrong match and the DDP-Craig Pittman match. That's a filler match. The Steve Dahl-Mahler match, that was just unwatchable. I'm so confused why Mahler would dive over the top rope holding Dahl in the power power slam position. And it just made no sense to me. And thankfully... Um, Razor comes out and makes a save. Another reason why I was so down on WWE is because what I did is I t- I'm, I'm looking at this as a full week. WWF. So, yeah, WWF at the time. Um, well, the reason I was so down on, on that was because I'm looking at this as a full week worth of production. Because I'm also including, in when, when I'm going through this and, and I'm doing all this on my blog, 
So, I mean, people can read it all. You know, I'm, I'm including ECW into it because they were a major, major force during that time, too. They weren't on Monday night, but they were a major force during that time. And anything that happens throughout the week, like if, if there's a pay-per-view or this week they had that, um, they had the, that special because uh, the weather knocked the power out. So there were three matches that they showed again on, on Tuesday. So I actually included those matches in my review of, of Raw for the week. Of, oh, I see. Of I, did, I, did, see I, didn't, I thought about them. But I, didn't, I didn't know if they were available or how to find them. Well, you have to go to the um, In Your House pay-per-view, that Beware of Dog pay-per-view, and you have to actually fast-forward to the final three matches, and then it's the In Your House 2. Beware of Dog. Oh, uh, okay. And, I mean, I, the strap match to me was just boring. There was nothing noteworthy about it except for the ending. After um, Austin lost, he just got up and walked out, left his, left his manager standing there to take the abuse from uh, Savio Vega. Because on, on Raw, and one of the bright points on Raw was DiBiase's interview where he you know, put the stipulation, if Austin loses, I'll leave. Right. And just the look on Austin's face and everything. And then to see Austin, you, you saw the start of the Stone Cold character. The way he just walked out on his manager. Didn't care. Just walked out. So it was, that was an interesting part of it. But that was the only part of that match that was even noteworthy. The Undertaker-Goldust match I thought was good. Because those are two very big, very athletic guys. And I didn't have a problem with the ending, with the um, mankind coming out and, and you know winning the match for Goldust and all that stuff. I, I had no problem with that. I thought that was the best match. The Vader Yokozuna match was almost unwatchable. Well, I, I think what it kind of comes down to here is that you know, to it more like from a storytelling perspective, you looked at it more from. And enter maybe you know like an entertainment by the commentary and a and a match perspective. Yeah, because... and, and 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 to me like you know nothing on WCW really told any kind of a story other than you know the starting the start of, of like Scott Hall coming out. You know, I mean, I mean that or you know like he said Razor Ramon coming out because I, I agree at the same at the, at the time that's what how it, that's how it felt is that right. is that you know but, well, but nothing and... else on here really even told any kind of a story whatsoever. I'm trying to what I'm trying to do with all these is I'm trying to watch them from an entertainment value as a fan, not as of, you know, somebody who knows all the backstories and, and knows all of it. I'm trying to block out everything that I know has happened since then, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the way that we normally break down matches. I'm trying to solely watch this the way that a fan in 1996 would have watched it. Right. And that's really how I watched it, too. I mean, it really is. And then but I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, I would rather have seen the three matches in the I didn't go back and watch the in your house stuff, but I was I would still think I would take a pay-per-view plus an hour of raw over the two hours of, of Nitro that I saw. So that, that's it. So I think we're just going to have to we're going to end up on the opposite side of this one as well, like we do quite often, especially tonight. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, and, but I, and and then, you know, I'll, and I'm and I'm going to watch the, uh, you know, the next two uh shows this week and you know as and uh kind of keep kind of catch up to that not, not well, catch up but it's just a long time ago but i'm gonna i'm gonna watch the, i'm gonna watch the the uh two from the week following uh this week at some point yeah I, i'm i'm trying to get them in before the end of the week too but um the one thing i want to note because i like i said i threw ecw in here mm-hmm. um 
ECW felt more like a recap show than an actual program. So, I mean, I gave the the entire presentation only a 2.5 because they they did a lot of promoting of Brian Pillman making his first in-ring appearance uh, this coming Saturday night. Uh, Heyman had a great uh, interview where he ran down RVD, which I thought was amazing. I mean, it was it was Paul Heyman. It was the Paul Heyman that we know and love. That's that's who delivered that fucking interview. Um, have, have, was, you, have, have you have you ever actually sat down and watched WrestleMania, Jeff? Like the very first WrestleMania. The very first one. Yeah. It's been years, but I have. Yeah. Yeah, because that's because that's what WrestleMania was originally intended to be. Um, was basically like a big ad for their their house shows um, because that at, because at the time that's what drove the wrestling industry was was how they did at the house um, and so yeah that's so that's how WCW that's how ECW was booked as well the ECW TV show until it was on like TNN um, always was that way where just a was, recap show it was a recap show and an and an ad for um, and an ad for the upcoming house shows. Um, well, they, they, would, they would, they would, they would like show, um, and they would, you know, they would bring like the camera to those house shows and they would show some of the matches that were on those house shows, but it was, it was always building towards something else. No, no, no you know, they never um, ended or they never like ended a storyline on TV. It was always at the house shows. Right. And, or well, the, the, and then later, the, and then later the pay-per-views. Well, this, I mean, this had some bright moments. There was a, um, a snippet of a match that was shot on a fan cam. So it was like a single camera, almost like somebody would be taking it on their, on their phone nowadays between Jericho and Too Cold Scorpio. And the segments of it that I saw were, were amazing. And then after the match, Scorpio just looks into the camera and, and talks about how great Jericho is. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was an interesting thing. There was this little weird segment with the Dudley boys that really didn't hit any marks for me. Um, and then Stevie Richards made appearances through all of the Joey Styles um, lead-ups. Mm-hmm. And he was just weird. It, it was just weird. He was, all, he was always weird at ECW. <laughs> yeah, but this was like more so than normal. Like I, I'm watching this going, even now I'm watching this going, I don't know what this guy's trying to accomplish. Um, then they finally got to a match, and it was the Eliminators, um, you know, Saturn and Cronus uh, with Brian, uh, primetime Brian Lee, and they uh, took on Tommy Dreamer and the Gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa Saeed. Oh, I hated the Gangsters. This was a mess from the word go, and it was perfect ECW back in the day because it was all six men fighting. There was people on that one side of the arena and two more on the other side of the arena and then two kind of around ringside. You know, and that and it, fucking music playing in the background the entire time, I bet. Well, that was one of the things that I, I noticed. Or they kept playing the gangsta's music a good 10 minutes into the match. I know, I hate that. that and that's why like, I hate the gangsta's because I just could not... Oh, that was watch. so annoying. It is. It's very fucking annoying. And then there was this weird part where Stevie Richards, of course... You know, Stevie, being Stevie, comes out and he Stevie kicks Dreamer in the back of the head. So that brought out Balula and uh, Kimona. Bula, not Balula. 
Yeah, Beulah and Kimona. That, that brought them out, and they grabbed him by the nuts and drug him to the back by the nuts. Yeah, yeah. Kimona Wanalea is one of the great wrestling names of all time. Yeah, I, this, it was, there was absolutely zero ring for the psychology, but it, this was a hell of a creative match. It, there was a lot going on. I, I loved, there was a spot where um, Dreamer, takes a carton of eggs and smashes it on Cronus's head. Yeah. That made me laugh. There were a couple of other spots where I just, I looked at it and said, how is this guy still alive? Um, I'm not even sure who won the match. <laughs> oh, New Jack. Uh, New Jack got the win. He pinned Saturn after a top rope splash with a chair. He put a chair in between him and Saturn or, you know, held it up against his chest as he was diving off the top rope. So, I mean, that match was, it was a clusterfuck, but it was um, it was entertaining at least. Who who would ever have imagined that an ECW match would be a clusterfuck? <laughs> it, it was more than than what I you know I remember watching some great matches on ECW TV. Usually, um, uh, uh, Jerry Lynn and RVD put on great matches. Taz put on great matches. You know, of course the um, the young. Young kids, Jericho and Benoit and Malenko, Guerrero, they all put on great matches. So it was, I, I, I remember in hindsight all these great matches that these guys put on. Mm-hmm. It makes me forget that Brian Lee, Cronus, New Jack, Mustafa Saeed didn't know how to wrestle. They just knew how to fight. Right. So it, it, seeing this was kind of a, um, it took me back a little bit because I, I when I'm thinking back on ECW, I'm not thinking this mess. I'm thinking some of the greater matches that I'm sure I'll see coming down the line here. Yeah, and that's that's understandable. But I mean, that, I mean, that's that's kind of like ECW's reputation, though. Is you know they 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 always had that you know great matches when great wrestlers, but but a lot of it was that kind of um, garbage brawl stuff too. I mean, there was some good stuff in this. The the weirdness by. Um, Stevie Richards was entertaining. Uh, the promo by Paul Heyman talking about Sabu and, and RVD it was just outstanding. You know, and then there were a few you know little updates here and there that were okay. A few um, Dudley boys feuding, which was okay. And then there was that clusterfuck to end the show that was fun, but it really was tough to watch. So I mean I guess I'll see. I I want to I'm gonna want to continue doing this and try to keep watching it from a fan's perspective. So going forward, I'll just keep watching it. When I watch a show, I'll throw it up on my blog and then we'll talk about it on here. All right, sounds good. Um, and uh, you know with with that, uh, I think it's time to wrap things up here. We're uh, we're just over the two hour mark, so you know it's, it's basically time to go. Um, guys, we're gonna be t- we're gonna be covering Battle Riot, um, which is. Uh, the most recent big show for Major League Wrestling. But not only that, we're also going to be covering, because we, we didn't cover it before, there are other big show right before that, Elimination Games, um, which, is, which featured a cage match between um, Tom Lawler and Loki in the rematch for the World Championship. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the upcoming big um, N, uh, NWA and... ROH joint production of um, the uh, of the Crockett Cup coming up on April 24th. 
But it's not just them, too. NJPW has a hand in this, and so does uh, CMLL. True. Yeah. So, it, you know, we've got four companies coming together to put on the Crockett Cup, which is something that I'm excited for. Yes, it is something you're excited for. <laughs> I've also been watching some of the um, qualifying matches on the NWA channel on YouTube, too. So, Yeah. And I... I, I've, I've, um, I don't know. I don't want to get too, in, too into my feelings about it at this point because um, it's just that some recent developments have kind of, kind of have kind of soured me a little bit on what's going on. But I, I but I don't want to, I don't want to get too into that because I want to talk about it on Saturday. Uh, we're gonna, re, we're gonna do actually a recorded show because Jeff will be out of town with Susan for for a few days, going to see a concert and some other stuff. So these, they're gonna be on vacation. So we're just gonna do, we're gonna record a show, put, you know, put it in the can and talk about it next week. Um, but yeah, what. You know, try to get caught up in Battle Royale if you can, because Jeff said earlier that Major League Wrestling is his favorite wrestling promotion right now, and I will tell you why it's mine. Um, so there's a bit of a teaser for you. And um, do you want to do the social media stuff, Jeff? Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter, me at Regi Co-op, um, Shane at Zanman L-O-P. Um, follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can just search Kingdom of Honor. It's... Uh, um, the profile picture is a skull wearing a crown in front of a, a ring. And then, um, you know, we've got some other things in the works here, too. You can follow my blog. Um, it's regicoop.blogspot.com. There's links on my Twitter. There's um, posts on Facebook, so it's easy to find. Plus, I do have a running blog that's going every single week that archives all of our shows along with a description and title. Uh, so you can easily find it, and you can easily uh, listen to all of our past shows anytime you want. And um, we, we also are, work, are working on getting a Patreon set up as well. I mean, it, te- technically, it's kind of it's kind of already in the works, but we're we're kind of thinking about um, what we're going to offer for like what subscription levels. Um, and we and we will and more to come on that in coming weeks as we as we kind of talk about it and debate it and, and kind of uh, at, want to advertise it more and, and what might be available for you guys that want to um, support us. And I'm working on some things with that whole Patreon. Um, I've got some emails out to some um, different promotions to see what we can do for like a trade. Um, you maybe they give us some stickers and keychains and stuff that we can give out as a, as a package uh, in exchange for us doing a little promo spot for them. So uh, uh, I've got, I've, I've sent out to five or six different independents um, just to see if maybe we can, you know, help each other out. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's what we have for this week. Again, next week we'll talk, be talking about MLW and the NWA and um, stay tuned. Make sure you check out all the other stuff here on um, LLP radio. I, I know on Saturday night, Shane and uh, the other Shane mystic and miss fan did a re a review fully on G one Supercard. Um, of course we have one nation radio tomorrow, along with the global revolution on Wednesday, sports entertainment is dead on Thursday, the perfect 10 wrestling podcast on Friday, the right side of the pond, um, Saturday, Ms. and, Sh- Ms. and Shane uh, Mystic will be back again with All About All Elite, and then we'll uh, catch you on Monday. Until then, that's all we've got. We'll try to do better next time. And this is Shane saying long days, pleasant nights, and Jeff saying goodbye.